everyone, and welcome back to the AdCast, a podcast for the study of modern visual culture. I'm your edge runner, Renu. And I'm your cybered punk, Soup. <laughs> this week at stands for Absolute Territory because we will be sampling and also wrapping up the summer 2022 season in one big old combo episode. <laughs> yeah, remember when we did this for, for, ev- for everything and it turned out to be like a lot? Um, it was so much. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, we, we took a little break and seasonal stuff is just actually so fucking brutal uh, <laughs> now. Um, so we, we've been having trouble keeping on the schedule. So we've just decided to lump this season into one episode so that hopefully we can be on track for the next season but you know who knows with these things i you're probably listening to this episode like not that long after the last one came out but like the gap between recording that one and this one is like pretty substantial and like <laughs> i don't know why but i always i always like it almost seems like i go out of my way to like specifically date these things like when we're recording and like then i leave that stuff in the episode and like it's bad and i shouldn't do it (laughs) these these episodes really should be like made in such a way that they don't like reveal the culpability of of me as as the the you know person who edits and uploads these things but um yeah (laughs) you you really like to expose yourself (laughs) yeah uh let's let's just say we uh, we've been going through it I've been going through it mostly. I mean, I I was away for a month as well, so that was the one of the main reasons why we had to lump the episodes together was because I just wasn't here to record yeah. the sampler. You so. you just you just weren't here. Um we thought about trying to trying to get it in, but there just like was physically not enough time to record before you before you left. Um Yeah. <laughs> I also thought you had you were going to leave a little later than than I did, than, yeah. Than did. So, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. I mean, this is really it's like a throwback to the the early days of the podcast in which we we kind of lumped the uh, beginning and ending of the season, and we just took it sort of as is. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, like I don't know about I don't know about you. It looks like you watched uh, quite quite a bit of anime. I I really just like. I find that I don't really have the time to watch anime outside of our our weekly anime appointment anymore, uh-huh. which is like somewhat somewhat problematic. I'm finding because um, there is stuff that I want to watch. Yeah, that I just I haven't been able to. But anyway, um, should we should we do a little bit of catch up before we uh, we get into the topic? I mean, we can. I I personally don't have a whole lot to catch up on on my side pers- i just uh this month i'm doing daily art stuff and that's mm. what's been occupying a lot of my time i'm yeah. returning to traditional media for a hot second and always uh, fun colored pen- yeah color pencil is my has always been my favorite media and i haven't medium and i haven't worked in it in a long time um so that's what i'm going to do for this month and it's felt great <laughs> So nice. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know that like uh, October, November is kind of the like self-imposed crunch months yeah. for creatives um, of yes. different of different um, 
uh, who's he, what's his. I've been having trouble recalling specific words that I want to use recently. <laughs> and I think it's just because, like, I, I'm just, like, I'm tapped out. But, like, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I think I will probably try um, doing another NaNoWriMo push this year. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Well, because I got, like, um, I, I looked back at what I have. I, I got, I think I have about 20,000 words right now. So, like... Mm-hmm. If I decide to push, and I won't push too hard because I I have already just felt like uh like the the crushing weight of all of my responsibilities has been too much um mm-hmm. um but I would I would like to to get this this project done um and it's it's okay. um I am in a place where I was kind of stuck for a while like I just wasn't really sure how to progress what I had um mm. but now I now I kind of do so okay um, that's cool at least i know what i want to write which is which is a great improvement over not having anything right <laughs> is it gonna be like a continuation or is it gonna be a new thing uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a continuation um i okay. i, I want to finish this first and then and then i can think about doing other things that's cool i want to i want to read it when you're done okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah uh anything else you've been up to no that's it yeah. So I have been up to a little and a lot. Okay. Um, I uh, I've I've been reading a lot of webtoons recently. Um, because the thing about webtoons that's really nice is that they are formatted um, and made for mobile formats, right? So, yeah. like, if you read manga on your phone, um depending on the size of your phone's screen um and depending on like the word density of the of the manga that you're reading it can be a little bit finicky to read um cuz then you you know you got to zoom in and look around yeah. and, and, like you want to mm-hmm. you want to absorb the page the nice thing about webtoons is that they're they're like made with phone screens in mind which is yes. um so good when you're reading on a phone screen which is what I do at work basically um i've yeah I've, yeah i was thinking that <laughs> i have read like hundreds of chapters of of webtoons <laughs> over the last like 2 weeks just cuz like you know it used to be that like i go to work and i like i uh whenever i'm not working i like you know, have my, my tablet and I, I do work at work. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I don't know. It, it's just like not an, not an ideal work environment when like I have to deal with customers. Like if I ever, the problem is like, I just like, it's very easy to, for me to get like knocked out of my workflow, mm-hmm. um, for like writing work. And that just, that just happens a lot. Although it's been like, like really unusually slow lately, so it's not not a terrible time for for that. But anyway, let's talk about anime. Um, did anime. you? Okay, I have a question because there yeah. are three sequels that that I put on this list that we watched yes. a little bit of, but uh, yes. um, I didn't finish. Did you finish any of these? No, okay. no. But I think it's worth just kind of like mentioning really briefly. Like, okay, hey, we went. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's the sampler, yeah. right? So, like, yeah, it's the it's sampler. The, it's also the sampler, rather. Um, yeah. So, Shadows House has a second season. Um, yes. Season one ended off on quite an interesting place and um, mm-hmm. introduced a lot of of intrigue for uh, for season two. Um, season yeah. two, we watched at, at least like two or three episodes of, I think, yes. and mm-hmm. has been has been pretty good. Um, yes, I think they, I think they even, 
I think it uh, the it feels like the production value has improved since last season, but I don't know for mm-hmm. certain. Yeah, it's at the very least the same, if not better, than the previous season, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. And I think the thing about Shadows House that's very interesting is it has this very... Um, it has this very, like, Baroque kind of... Um, mm-hmm. Almost like a political uh, intrigue show. But, like, yeah. at the same time, there's kind of this, like, supernatural mystery element to it. Um, yes. It, and because it's about a bunch of kids trying to outwit a bunch of, like, scheming adults, it almost feels a little yeah. bit like the first season of Promised Neverland. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, so I feel like if, you're, if you were interested in that kind of premise and you, you were maybe a little disappointed when they, when they left the house and it became more of, an, more of an, like a shonen action... This might be good for you. Yeah, they haven't left the house yet. They and haven't left the house. To be fair, so. the house is massive. It's like a town. It's huge. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. I I'm hoping to watch more at a later point when we have more time. I'm but. hoping to watch more too. I am not optimistic <laughs> about it. Um, because it to me is in that category of stuff that is interesting to me, but not so enthralling that i mm. i need to watch it right right um to me when i watch this show it like stimulates like some brain cells but in in like an intellectual way i guess um sure or like in in a mental way that like is just it's just different than the way that like mm-hmm. you know something like cyberpunk i, I couldn't stop watching right <laughs> yeah i mean yeah um I think it's pretty good overall. Um, it is good. It is mm-hmm. definitely a little bit. Um, it's on the slower side of of a. It is of, slower. Uh, yes. In terms of pacing, mm-hmm. for sure. Yes. Um, so mm-hmm. if that is if that is not, you know, something that you jive with, um, you might struggle with it. But I think the intrigue is really good. We there's not a ton of anime that are like this that I can think of off the top of my head. It mm-hmm. feels very like methodical, which I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, Overlord season four. Uh, I don't know if you've watched any Overlord. I have. I just haven't watched any of season four. <laughs> okay, cool. I watched one one episode. I uh, one and a half episodes. I'll say. I'll, I'll round it up to one and a half. I really watched like five minutes of um of episode like two. Um, mm-hmm. it has been so long since I watched Overlord season three that i really don't remember what's going on aside from the really broad strokes i feel like i would really benefit from a, a refresher on this stuff. <laughs> it is it's overlord it's it continues to be overlord uh extremely continues to be okay. overlord it feels like in season four they're emphasizing a lot more uh, or this, at least in this part of the story they're emphasizing a lot more of the disconnect between our clueless isekai protagonist and uh the the role he's supposed to be playing where he's just like i have no idea what the fuck is going on because <laughs> i feel like we didn't get as much of that in season three um or even right. even season two but uh-huh. in season four it feels it feels like um they're bringing that aspect back in and it's like a potential point of okay. tension which is interesting that is interesting yeah i do like that it's like it he should, continues to be accidentally competent he's just like uh what if we do this? And everyone's like, you are a genius, Lord Ains. <laughs> and he's like, uh, yeah. yeah. I sure am. <laughs> cool. This is why I earned the big bucks. <laughs> yep, this is what they pay me the big bucks for. Um, 
there is a show coming out uh, technically this season, not the summer season that we're talking about, but the fall season that just started um, called um, Eminence in the Shadows, which is really similar, but also different because it's it's all comedy, basically. And it has a very similar premise where the main character like is just kind of a chuny and he just makes shit up. But then all the shit he makes up turns out to be true, mm-hmm. which is so funny. Um, so we should, we should we'll, we'll probably end up watching at least a little bit of it because I, I do think it's one of the better isekais, mostly because it doesn't play it super, um, super straight. It, it's, it's pretty like flippant about it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then resurrected from the dead after, uh, I, I don't even know, like it's seven, eight years or something is the devil a is time. a part timer. Oh my which, gosh. I never thought that this was come. <laughs> which like, I mean, there is, uh, there is just like something really delightful about seeing the world's premier reverse isekai come back into fashion. <laughs> Um, I unfortunately don't remember anything about season one, so I'd have to watch season one to watch season two, which is why I didn't end up watching season two. Um, but oh, this was think, this was yeah. delightful. So I, um, at least I remember it being delightful. So I, yes, it was delightful. I will be watching it. I think uh, you don't necessarily need to remember a whole lot about season one, but it does. Uh, so I watched the first episode of the second season. And it does reference kind of broadly some of the things that happened in season one. But for the most part, the things you need to remember are the characters because they show up. Yeah, that, <laughs> so. see, that's that's where I'm failing, yeah. right? Because I watched this, right. I watched this like six years ago. <laughs> right. But but then again, it does kind of gently remind you of like by by kind of like hitting the the characters like main points right this is the 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 servant guy this is the heroine this is you know like that kind of thing this is the girl that has a crush on the main guy you know that kind of thing they they reference it in in that broad way mm. so that you're like okay i don't remember this person's name but now i remember what their character was <laughs> right um and uh i mean i'll i'll go ahead and spoil i guess the first episode of season of the, of, of the second season but um they start up a new arc with the mysterious child shows up and she's calling the two main leads her parents trope. <laughs> oh, delightful. We love that. Yeah. yeah so that's kind of why I, I basically stopped watching after the first episode. Because I, I, as, as fun as I know that they'll make the show, because it, w- it was already really entertaining in the first episode. Um, I I don't know I, that type of trope or arc or whatever isn't like really enough to grab me. Uh, that being said, if I have like spare time in the future, I'd be down to binging the rest of the second season because I love the series. Um, but yeah, that's what they do. I mean, and literally, like, uh, what is it? Uh, I guess spoils for Beware the Villainous. They just did that in one of their latest chapters as well this trope specifically <laughs> wait what <laughs> yeah they have mysterious child thinks that the male and female leads in her life are her parents as well <laughs> wait is where the villain is still ongoing i thought yes, this wrapped it's still up. going no they they wrapped up the main story but now they're doing like a whole nother oh they're doing like side stories um, okay i yeah. see I am listen. I am not going to lie to you. Um, there is a there is a very distinct part of me that was 
really just like I, I actually um so part of my part of my webtoon binge has been rereading um Beware the Villainous and um Okay. I did I did like the majority of it. Um Yeah. And I understand the appeal of like of the male lead, but I just like I I just can't I, I didn't talk with you about this because I didn't know if you had finished reading it yet. <laughs> but I'm also, I'm also, <laughs> I, 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 once it, once it was basically confirmed, you know, like with the male lead, who, who the male lead was going to be and who she was going to end up with, I, I, I lost I all just, interest. I just, listen, there, uh, uh, I, I feel so bad because like, there's just, there's like, on one hand, there was really just like no reason for me to to not because like you know obviously sure. you know the main character deserves a nice boy um yeah and, like i'm not i'm not gonna be so greedy as to say like she should have ended up with with the female lead because I will. i'll say it. i'll say it because i that's what <laughs> because i was supporting they, okay but they, also they yeah. literally <laughs> deserve to be together and yes. like she yes. literally broke the story yes. and fought yes. god literally, for yes. her yes so yes. like uh, mm. but it's not that i hate the male lead i just felt like there was a much more suitable option it and i was disappointed it, it didn't was, go that route. <laughs> it has been a it's been a little bit of a it's been a while really i'll say since i've seen like a male lead um that exists uh, like essentially for for like the end game for for the female lead um i it just feels like the chemistry between them doesn't doesn't exist at least not in yes. a romantic sense like no it, it felt so forced when they started yes like, exactly I, I understood his feelings for her like that to me felt more organic but her falling for him felt bizarre it felt so weird so out of the it blue it felt so forced and then like right after that they started going on a date and i was just like bro this is awkward and it yeah, was awkward. I hate- <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too i hated it <laughs> Uh, it's I'm just so like glad. Uh, <laughs> no, we 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 have very we generally tend to have very similar tastes um, and thoughts about about things. It's just that uh, my tolerance for bullshit is a little bit higher. But no, you're you're completely like on the spot correct about like just like 100 percent on the nose. Like nailed it. I don't like the the main pairing of that webtoon. I don't like the way that it ended. <laughs> I don't either. And I'm not I'm not going to lie to you. I don't hate the male lead, but I no. I immediately checked out of the bonus chapters as soon as I realized they were his backstory. I was like, I'm sorry. Yep. I really just yeah. don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like it's like I get it. I get it. He's a pretty nice boy, but he's just so he's so bland. Yeah, and it's also like he doesn't really have a whole lot going on outside of Melissa, and and he does have his like feud with his like with the other you know people in his clan, but that's 
it and he never engages with it outside of Melissa because his whole world, his whole universe is her, right? Versus I like that the female lead has other stuff going on. Like she's hanging out with her family. She's like got stuff going on with like the meta narrative in her story, right? Yeah. I, um, the author or whatever too. Like I, get- <laughs> I liked a lot of, of the concepts in Beware of the Villainous and it is still visually a very gorgeous manga to look at. Oh, it's uh, beautiful, it yeah. very like... Um, it's very much like, um, and I found, I found that this is a term that comes up, but it's like, um, like a cider, which is like something that is like refreshing. (laughs) Um, yes. Uh, the counterpart to which is like, is like eating a sweet potato because it's like, like, um, sweet and like kind of thing. And like, that's the thing is like, it starts as like the cider and then kind of ends as the sweet potato. And it's just like, (laughs) I mean, yeah, all right, right. I guess really apt yeah <laughs> right like i, I kind of i kind of missed when she was like just like really wrecking the shit of other people around her i thought that was that was like the highlight that was the best part of the dang story and, like was the I, beginning <laughs> i don't hate that it starts pretty cynically and then ends like on kind of a sincere note but it just felt like such a forced like ending it felt so forced. i was like i oh. i want to like this i'm yeah. having trouble and yeah like obviously a large part of that was like you know me i'm always rooting for the yuri end <laughs> but like in this case it's so justified it's so justice it really was because there felt like like you said there was just not as much chemistry with the male lead versus the female it just one. really uh, was uh, yeah the two female leads so it's just <sighs> i don't i don't know it because it's not like it's not like they were like like um it's not like the female lead and the male lead were particularly different in the kinds of struggles they face and the way they were saved by Melissa but like mm-hmm. just something about it felt more real for for the female lead than it did for, yes. for the male lead and yeah i just i i don't know it might it might be the engagement of the meta text in that in that regard but um yeah uh I'm glad we're on the same page about that because I it was frustrating to no end. Like, I was so frustrated. I'm really convinced that webtoons just have no idea how to end, which is fair. Like a lot of long running yeah. web series tend to have trouble landing an ending that feels satisfying, which I think really has made me appreciate what Final Fantasy 14 did um, so much because I've I don't think I've ever seen as satisfying of an of an ending to an arc of a story than uh than what Endwalker was um for a very long running narrative which is really impressive. But anyway, um enough about my current obsession. Um uh yeah, beware the villainous. I mean, it's <laughs> most of it is is pretty good and then the rest of it is just kind of okay (laughs) right and it's like and it's like the amount of 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 like stuff that's good versus what is like kind of mediocre is like it's obviously very outweighed right like 97 percent of it is like really good and then three percent of it is just like yes okay it's still definitely worth reading (laughs) um on on that note um the uh one of the villainous manga that we talked about um on the villainous episode um uh, I the like I tame the last boss or whatever. I don't remember exactly. What I'm so excited. Uh, yeah, it has an anime, so we're gonna we're gonna oh, so definitely excited. gonna start watching it. Yes. Yeah. Um. So, uh, let's talk about stuff that we didn't finish. Um, 
which no, we is we we sampled. <laughs> um, we watched uh, an episode or two of Yurei Deco, which is um, it is an anime by Science Saru about a world in which like Facebook is real life, um, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, and simultaneously, like it's like simultaneously, uh probably where society is heading and like also mark zuckerberg's wet dream and like i hate that <laughs> but um it is it it is like many like augmented slash virtual reality um properties in which it is um it's about a world in which the virtual and the real are intertwined in um very intimate ways and um i think i think that engagement is the currency if from what i recall we watched this like is, a lot yeah. of a mm-hmm. lot of uh, many many weeks ago um and there was a um essentially like it seems like the inciting incident is that there is like a phantom thief that goes around stealing likes or whatever mm-hmm. right and yep um our main character is like well if we if we capture him on video or whatever uh we'll get we'll go viral or whatever yeah it's like yeah. It's like, you know, internet stuff. Um, yeah. I'm really intrigued in this. Part of it reminds me of um, of Decadence, which um, yeah. mm-hmm. obviously was uh, was something that we really liked. And it is by Science Saru, which is Masaki Yuasa's studio. Um, I don't think it's directed by Yuasa himself. Um, I think he's on break or something, um, which obviously mm. he deserves. But, like... Um, it the concept is interesting. I'm really curious to see where the narrative goes. Like, this is definitely something I would watch if I had some more time on my hands. Um, but at the same time, um, I've realized something. Okay, so I've I've started listening to this podcast called You're Wrong About, um, which is um, a uh, it's basically like talking about like um stuff in our cultural memory that we may not have all the facts to, um. So, you know, stuff like mm. the Satanic Panic or um, the Postal Service um, back when, <laughs> like, uh, back when there were a lot of, like, Postal Service shootings. And that was, like, a specific thing that seemed to have been happening. Um, oh. And um, one of the hosts talked about how um, there is there's a certain mindset that you have to be in to watch stuff that you have been told is good um stuff that will blow your mind or or change your life right and right. she said basically like you know sometimes i don't want to have my my mind blown or my world changed right. sometimes i want to like sit down and watch the first like 45 minutes of heat on netflix and you know what that resonated with me so strongly sometimes yeah. i really don't want actually a lot of times i really don't want to watch something that is like gonna rock my fucking world i just like want to watch something that will entertain me um and that may be Mm -hmm. a sign of the burnout or whatever Uh, it may be a (laughs) sign of the mild depression that i've been diagnosed with (laughs) but yeah sometimes i just sometimes i just want to watch some garbage um or at least something that'll just like (laughs) short wire my short circuit my brain into having a good time um anyway yurei deco feels like something i will have to think a lot about while watching which is kind of mm. what puts me off of watching a lot of it. Um, because I think there is this gradation of stuff that is like stuff that is like life changing and also like um, 
easy to digest and then stuff that is life-changing and hard to digest. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You have to be in a certain yeah, a like mood for it. <laughs> I, I couldn't watch Evangelion for quite a long time because I just never felt like I was in the right mindset for it. And I was probably yeah, correct. Yeah, same, same. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Yurei Deco feels like one of those things where I'm just like, it's asking me to use my brain, I think, right? <laughs> this is my expectation of it. It might not be true. It might have nothing to say at all. But like, it, it's, yeah. but uh-huh. it's about like social media and stuff. And like, that kind of stuff will always depend on who's writing it and how much actual experience they have with it, right? Because it's always, sure. it's always one of those things where it's like, people can always um, gather these superficial um, aesthetics of something without understanding the actual um, underlying principles or the philosophy of it, right? And mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of stuff about social media falls into that because um, this is a problem where um, you can have something that is superficially about social media but doesn't quite understand the actual problems of social media and it's just like, oh, look at people, look at how vapid they are and how much they don't care about things for real. They just care about likes and stuff. Right. And it's like, yeah, like that's the aesthetics of of why we hate social media. But then there's the like underlying principles of why we hate social media, which is, you know, like um, it is highly controlled by corporations and uh, edges out other modes of existing um, on the Internet. Um, It uh, is something that necessarily leads to volatile and encourages people to act in certain negative ways you know obviously like you know hate mobs like anonymous hate mobs are you know the thing that people talk about right um and all that kind of stuff right like that those are real problems that social media has but a lot of times when people write stuff that is critical of social media it's like oh look at how vapid people are they just care about likes and it doesn't examine why people care about those things it's just like they (laughs) they don't care about real things because they're not smart and that's just not the case it's that mm-hmm. you know we live in a culture that um essentially necessitates this as as a mode of being right like right. when like i i do think that one thing that Yurei Deco has is that engagement um as a currency is is very real about um and accurate uh it's a very real and accurate way of describing the way that things work on the modern day internet right yep Mm-hmm. You know, um, the social capital that you have from having a lot of eyes on you is so powerful that people make careers off of it, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, <clears throat> this video is sponsored by Surfshark VPN. This, oh my god! This, <laughs> this video is sponsored by NordVPN. This video <laughs> is sponsored by Audible. Um, this podcast is sponsored by none of those things. We're sponsored by our lovely patrons. We're sponsored by our <laughs> lovely patrons who make who make this podcast happen. Although I'm not gonna lie to you, if somebody did reach, if a big company did reach out and was like, "Can you do an ad read?" I'm I I would have to think about it really hard because I do <laughs> I do want to escape doing food service for the rest of my life. But like, you see the that's you see true. the point, right? Like that's exactly what yes, I'm talking yes. about. Exactly. It's it's engagement can legitimately determine someone's income <laughs> yeah. during this And it's age. like, it's also one of those things where people don't realize how hard of a job um, a lot of people, okay, I, I won't say all people, right? Because I think there are a lot of people that do recognize this, 
a lot of people don't recognize how difficult a job um, being a quote-unquote influencer um, of any kind of type is, right? Because there's all the yeah. stuff that happens that you can see that seems very easy, and then there's all the stuff that happens underneath, which is very difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Like, all of that stuff requires work, and traditionally that work has been undertaken um, for, you know, in the professional industry by a, a team of people, um, but people just do that by themselves because you're your own advocate on the internet a lot of the time, right? And, mm-hmm. like, it's awful and terrible and grinding, crushing work, and it's also better than a lot of work that we that we do that a lot of the jobs that we have just suck so bad that like people will do anything to escape them even escaping to another like soul crushing job right one in which you can at least do a little bit of something that you enjoy (laughs) (laughs) right and i think that's the state that a lot of content creators find them in which is um find themselves in which is just like you are essentially uh doing a ton of work probably more work than if you were working for for a company of some of like uh you know uh, of some kind and the benefits that you're getting from it are less than if you were employed by a company because of the way that healthcare works in the United States it's kind of a nightmare obviously um and you might not even, you might be making about the same amount of money but obviously without benefits right um but like the reason that people reach for that kind of thing is um and they want to do it so desperately right i'm i'm not excluded from this is because it makes you feel like you have a modicum of control over both um your workflow you know the amount that you work um and what you output right so mm-hmm. like the problem with a lot of jobs is that they're very demeaning right it's not even necessarily that they're like it's like menial labor right it's like it's like stuff that you feel like you have no control over um which funnily enough actually kind of goes back to um that that uh podcast i was talking about the postal service which was those were some of the things identified as like factors and why there were a lot there was like a series of postal service shootings in the like 80s and 90s i think it was the 90s i think that was Mm -hmm. like that was when the term going postal was like coined um and that was why it was coined oh yeah um so anyway, that's my rant about content creation. Um, I bet I bet the rest of the show is good. Um, Science Saru like very rarely misses. Yeah, um, I think it it could be worth checking out if that's a topic that interests you. Yeah, you know what it kind of reminds me of actually, um, and this is probably you know obviously because it's by Science Saru, but it actually reminds me a lot of Azoken, um, just aesthetically. Oh, and kind of yeah, kind of vibe kind sure. of vibe wise also a little bit. Yeah, I think somewhere between Azoken and Decadence is is this show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's intriguing. Um, I I hope to check out more of it, but I, I really do make no promises. I I can barely keep up with what I. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, Ruby Ice Queendom, which we watched like an episode of, I think. Um, yes. And I didn't finish this, obviously. Um, it, it was interesting. It felt way more cohesive than season one of, of the original Ruby was. And that makes sense because they actually have professional writers and, you know, people experienced in making a, you know, a show. Um, there were obviously still 
areas of lesser focus and in general it's funny because actually it's quite a faithful reproduction of ruby um in that almost all of the good animation is saved for the fight scenes and they do look gorgeous yeah um i think uh what is it we have heard like what happens later on in the show which is that aside from the faithful recreation in the beginning it goes off into its own side story um that kind of fits into the narrative so don't if you're only watching like the first couple episodes and you're like oh this is just like the original show it's not um they they kind of like make a careful separation of these are two separate things so that you don't get any value taken away from the original show right um so yeah. I do like the treatment that we did see. And honestly, I would have been really happy if they just did that for the rest of Ruby to just kind of like yeah, bundle things up very nicely because there are really glaring things that about the original show that like just just story-wise, I would say writing-wise that are just like I I <laughs> I I 100% agree. I very strongly think that there is real value to be had in going back and just like re remaking like ruby and i understand why the hesitation to do that exists um largely because you know the first two and a half seasons of ruby are um the you know the the seasons that were made um with monty working on the series right yeah and mm -hmm. i think that it would be very difficult to um to essentially rework that, right? Without Absolutely. feeling like you're uh you're kind of, you know, um forsaking the work that has already been done. Right. right? It's exactly it, yeah. It's quite an unfortunate situation because it feels like this like irreplaceable treasure. But at the same time, I yeah. I do think that there's value in going back and just having like a couple of writers, maybe like one or two just cohesively rewrite the series so that it just works. The, just, just the writing, right? You don't need to touch like the the animated work that Monty put in, but like the writing is like such a huge problem to understanding the world and the story, and it, it kind of like holds back what is essentially like a, a, a show that is like super well beloved by by its fandom. Um, like it would just elevate it. I think there is value in having kind of a side story that does not progress into the main plot because I think mm. that was a large part of what was missing from the original series was um they had um you know because it was essentially the first you know western uh, indie anime project, right? It suffered a lot from trying to emulate anime but without mm. having the resources, uh, expertise, nor runtime, just sheer runtime to pull it off. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So they have this like kind of school thing going on, and they're trying to balance that with um, being like uh, hunters of supernatural beings, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not an abnormal thing for an anime to tackle topic wise. But when you cut down on the amount of runtime, and we've, we talked extensively about this during the Ruby episode. Um, but when you cut yeah. down extensively on the amount of runtime that you're given, right, um, or that you can manage, um, mm -hmm. if you have those scenes of them just being kids and goofing around at school and having school problems, 
it's going to take up 80 to 90% of the runtime. And so mm-hmm. it's going to feel like you're wasting a lot of time because there is a, there is a plot that wants to be progressed but isn't being progressed. And people, most people will find that frustrating. I find that those, those, the parts of like the kids interacting with each other is charming in its own way. And I see what they're going for and I like what they're going for. It's just not correct for the for the amount of time they were given, right? Mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. it would be really nice for something like um like this, um, which is an anime reimagining, like a 2D anime reimagining, to lean more into it, which is what it feels like they did. It feels like they built so much more into the the backstories of these characters and gave a lot more thought to what was going on in the background before they arrived at where we start this the series, right? And, like, they have, obviously, the benefit of all that stuff kind of being written now, right? Ruby's on its whatever season. <laughs> but um, going, being able to go back and just redo all of it and just make it, you know, cohesive and fix the stuff that you don't want to, uh, that you, like, kind of messed up the first time, right? Like, the first episode of, uh, of, the, um, of the Ruby anime like gives you an explanation of the world and it gives you an explanation of like how like the powers and stuff work and they don't have to make a separate other side show to explain (laughs) the basic world building (laughs) concepts it feels like they were able to actually incorporate them into the narrative in a way that makes sense that was the most impressive part, I think, really of, was. of episode one of this anime was how they condensed the lore into such a, a, a sensible manner. They put it right where you needed it. You, you understood it, and then it proceeded with the rest of the show. <laughs> yeah. That, this is what's actually frustrating to me because, it's, because, like, when you boil it down, the actual, like, power system of Ruby is very well established. It's not, it's not mm-hmm. well established, rather, um, because that would require them to establish it well. Um, it's, <laughs> it's well thought out, um, and I suspect <laughs> that this is because it's, this is like, you know, um, I suspect that this stuff came from Monty, but like, um, you have no idea what's going on if you just watch the, like, you know, the original series. But like, essentially, you have, um, you have your aura, which is essentially mana, right? It's MP. Right, and you use this for everything from defending your body from attacks, which was not explained until far too late, and <laughs> um, retroactively makes all those scenes of kids fighting with bladed weapons make so much more sense, right? <laughs> um, and you know, and then you have your semblance, which is essentially your like personal ability, and that is cool. That's a great, a great way of like sectioning out how like the powers work, right? And semblances are like magic, but they're not magic because there is magic. And that's kind of where it gets a little bit too complicated for my taste, personally speaking. Um, but I understand what, what, was, what was being strot, strove for, um, I think is, is the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Because, like, yeah, if you read any, like, uh, webtoon or isekai that's, like, kind of in a fantasy-ish setting, or even, like, there's a very popular genre of... Of, of webtoon that is essentially uh, dungeons appear in the real world and this was I think largely popularized by solo leveling um, but like dungeons appear in the real world and society has changed drastically right 
Um, and I have a lot of thoughts about that. Oh boy. But now is not the time <laughs> nor place. Um, because this episode would be four hours long if we did. <laughs> the, uh, the idea of somebody having a personal ability is very common. And having stats like HP and MP, very common, right? For Ruby, obviously, it's boiled down even further. Just like you have your body and then you have your aura. And your aura is your MP bar. But it's also technically your HP bar because if you lose all of it, you will not be able to defend yourself from attacks and you'll die if you get hit. And that's, that's great. Personally, like... Like, when I think about fantasy, like, I have a very similar conception of it, of just, like, I think it's interesting when people have, like, personal abilities like that. Mm-hmm. We've strayed a bit from the topic. Um, it's, it's Ruby. <laughs> um, and it's, it's Ruby, but a little bit better. And that's kind of all I have to say about it, aside from what I just already said about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Engage Kiss, which was extremely weird. <laughs> this so i don't remember why we decided to watch this aside from the premise being vaguely interesting the animation is like good kind of like distressingly good in the fight scenes <laughs> it felt a lot like what was that what was that what was that series we watched um that was about the the maestros oh i, le- I legit do not <laughs> no, remember the name, the name of it. was like strange I, I don't remember the name of this show, but um, it reminds me of that show, except the writing is worse, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think something about the fight scenes reminded me of that anime. It reminded too. me a lot of that anime in terms of the fight scenes. Um, but then everything else about it was just so insufferable that I couldn't bring myself to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's like, it was like stuff, but like they live in a floating city, I think. And there's like devils and like he, I guess, seduced a devil and she fights for him, but only if they make out first. Yeah, which it's, it's kind of like, it, it feels like it's kind of going for that Mirai Nikki. Yeah, audience. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was like so off-putting like i didn't really enjoy any single character in the entire sh- the entire episode that we watched they're all like kind of annoying <laughs> it felt it felt insufferable to watch yeah <laughs> like i I I don't know if this is based on a manga or or what but it just like was it just didn't go you know when something just like doesn't click with you and you can feel it grinding your gears? Yeah. I I, I was there. <laughs> That's where yeah. I was. Just barely putting up with this show. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, okay, let's see. It's a mixed media project created by Aniplex. Um so after so there is a mobile game follow-up being developed by Square Enix under the title Engage Kill. <laughs> whoa! Whoa! <laughs> wow, what a what a what a difference. Oh my oh my god, what a difference in mood. <laughs> Alright, that's wonderful. I wish you the best of luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Um I just I can't. I can't with this show. I I straight up just can't. <laughs> I think if your if your tolerance for like anime bullshit is like 
higher than mine, I bet you can watch this and you might enjoy it. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm sure there's people who like the show. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about Call of the Night, which uh, was really interesting. Pretty funky fresh. Um, it, I think, so I think. Um, Tact OP is the name. Tact OP show. Destiny. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. That oh was, that's God. it. That's it. That's it. Sorry, we were already in the next show. <laughs> no, it's it's fine. This right. was this was important. <laughs> anyway, call of the night. <laughs> yeah. So, um, call of the night. Um, is a show about a a uh. Let's see. Hold on. Let me look this up here real quick. A fourteen-year-old boy and a vampire. Oh God, he's fourteen. Yeah, he's fourteen. <laughs> I didn't realize he was so young. Um, so this was uh, this was an interesting show. The opening song was really good, um, mm-hmm. and the graphics of it. Uh, the I, I think actually the aesthetics of this show are like really really top notch. Um, it feels yeah. it feels very interesting visually to look at. Um, yeah, which I really enjoyed actually, and I enjoyed also the. Um, I really enjoyed the aesthetics of the nighttime scenes and how they mm-hmm. captured what, like, what walking through a city is like when it's, like, really late and, like, mm-hmm. the only people out yeah. are, like, mm-hmm. businessmen who have been out drinking for the last, like, th- six hours, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have no idea what the rest of the show is about, um, but, like, it's just about a kid who's like kind of disillusioned with the system and is like, I'll just stay up all night. I can't go to sleep. And then he meets a vampire and uh, he's like, can you turn me into a vampire? And she's like, well, there's one problem here. And it is that we have to be in love. And he's like, huh? (laughs) And then he starts trying to make them fall in love with each other so that he can become a vampire. Yeah. This show, um, uh, it is the original creator of Call of the Night is the same person who created Dagashikashi, um, and the character designs are extremely Dagashikashi. So if you're really into like the girls that make the crazy eyes, um, I think you'll really like this show. <laughs> um, but also, it is definitely that. <laughs> also, it's like it's just kind of a it's just kind of a like I don't know what it was about it, um, but. I think just the the general style of it was just it was just so good um that yeah. I did I did feel compelled to keep watching. I really might actually go back and watch some more of this. Um Yeah, I think it would be worth a revisit just because like yeah, it was it was well done. Yeah, it it was. It was it was very well done. Um and it was very interesting mm-hmm. to look at. I they played a lot with um impo- like imposing like uh shadows, but they were uh like flat colors um which gave mm-hmm. it this like kind of like construction paper cutout kind of vibe to it it felt mm-hmm. just visually like one of the more interesting anime that i've watched um recently yeah so i would definitely be more interested uh i would definitely be interested in watching more of it okay Buchigire. um <laughs> man this show is so weird <laughs> it was a strange show it was definitely i well it felt like 
for a younger audience. <laughs> it, it did kind of feel that way. Like, it didn't feel like it was for us as, like, people in the adult part of their lives. Um, it, it did feel quite appropriate for somebody who was maybe, like, 12. Yeah, I think so, too. Like, a little, I a mean, little like... older than, like, children's programming. Um, like... Like, literally, maybe a couple of years older than, like, the target demographic for, like, Pokemon. Yeah, like, there's, like, like we've, in the history of the podcast, have watched show that's, shows that have more geared toward a younger audience. Like, we watched all of Maho Jin Guru Guru, which is definitely a kid's show. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It was it was structured in such a way that it, you could just, like watch it like if you were the parent of a child even you could just kind of like mindlessly watch it because it's you know it's like generally entertaining but this show like very specifically caters towards i would say like you said like like maybe that preteen or younger teen yeah, audience it feels it feels yeah. like for people that are too old to be watching pokemon but are obviously yeah. too young to be watching like samurai champloo <laughs> Yeah, which is, yeah, right. Which exactly. I, I say very hypocritically as somebody who was watching Samurai Champloo at that age range, but like, hey, no. listen, uh, Toonami slash Adult Swim was on, and I was watching anime. Fuck oh yeah, God. you know. Um, but yeah, it, it it is very much like um, it feels like a show that is taking itself very seriously, but in a way that only a child would not be able to like be taken out of it by you know <laughs> like it, yeah. it is about a, a a group of criminals who have to take the place of the shinsengumi um which is one of the most notorious like um uh governmental uh hit kill squads i guess um they're technically they were basically like super cops right um but uh they the Shinsengumi have, have been killed by mysterious mm -hmm. people in masks, and they need these criminals to take the place of the Shinsengumi and potentially find out what's going on and kill them. Um, and, and, you know. Um, but yeah, the general vibe of it was just like... I don't know. Uh, I, I just... I did feel a little bit too old to be watching it. And, like... <laughs> In a way that was just like different than normal, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's that's kind of all I feel about that one. It, I mean, I think mm -hmm. it could be entertaining. It was like it feels yeah. like it feels entertaining in the same way that I really liked Mushi Bugio when I was like in like when I was like sixteen. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I think it has about the same amount of weight as that show. So, mm -hmm. um, take from that what you will. Okay, uh, you want to talk about the, the, well, actually, hold on, I'm going to move this one to the bottom, because we did watch more of this one. Um, Phantom of the Idol, which I didn't, <laughs> I didn't watch any more of, but it did seem quite entertaining. I wanted to watch more of it, and I just completely forgot. I also forgot. I, I legit <laughs> walked into every week of our, like, of our anime watching, and I was like, what are we watching? <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling that that was happening. <laughs> That was why so we I just felt watched. Like we were watching so many more time. things, and then we were just we just really quickly honed in on a few things, and I was just like, "Huh." <laughs> I mean, honestly, if I forgot about it, it it probably was not an S tier show. Sorry. 
Yeah, now, and I wouldn't say that this one is S tier either. It's very like middle of the road in terms of like animation and and story quality, but the premise is really funny, which is um, we have two. Uh, idol. It's two dudes in, in an idol group. They're like a duo, right? Um, and while one of them is like super motivated, giving it his all, he's like 100% like idol material, quote unquote. The other part of the duo, he's like the exact opposite. He's super unmotivated. He's just kind of like going through the motions because he treats it like a job and he just wants to make a paycheck, right? Um, and so at one point during the show, uh, he begins to interact with what is essentially a ghost of a female idol. (laughs) Um, and she is basically, uh, kind of like everything that he needs in his life to be a successful idol, right? She represents that. And she has the ability to possess his body and make him be successful as an idol and so that's basically the 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 premise of the show is that uh it's like kind of like a comedy you know uh supernatural ish because you know she's a ghost and everything show (laughs) it reminded me a lot of of that show we watched about the guy that works in the children's television programming oh yeah and i think i would say that it has a similar like quality to it too in terms of like the the budget quality (laughs) the way that it's animated it very much felt like it was a lower or like middle -er sort of priority show that was just meant to like be an anime adaptation um of a a serviceable anime adaptation of a you know of a gag manga yeah and i would say that this feels similar um where like both of them have really funny premises um and it's just like if you'd want something kind of really light to watch or like have something playing in the background while you do stuff i think this is a pretty good show for that (laughs) it doesn't ever take itself too seriously or anything it's obviously like a comedy show so futo tante which we watched one episode exactly of um and we realized that it is actually it's a continuation of a common writer series which is why we were so lost about what was <laughs> happening all the stuff had already happened <laughs> that's mostly why we didn't continue watching it it seemed fine otherwise yeah yeah no i'm i'm definitely interested in like i i do want to watch this um i just am debating whether i want to go back and watch the the <laughs> The uh, prequel, or I guess like the series that it's continuing from, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It feels it feels like we need to watch that first um, to mm. not be lost. Which I mean, we could, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Yakuza's Guide to Babysitting, um, which is a uh, an interesting show. It feels very much like um, it has a. A, an extremely similar vibe to a lot of the other like father-daughter shows, which is funny because he's he's not the dad, right? Yeah, he's actually, there is the dad. He's there. just babysitting <laughs> a child, and the dad yeah. is fine and alive, but he he's also a yeah. yakuza. Um, yeah, it has a very similar vibe to uh, stuff like Sweetness and Lightning, um, which mm-hmm. is good. Um, mm-hmm. It is. Like, it feels very sweet. Like, it's a very, like, sweet anime. Yeah. It's not like there's, like, 
raucous laughter happening because of of jokes or anything. Like, there's no like real like mm-hmm. bust a gut uh, gags. It was mostly just like a very straightforward, sweet show about uh, about a little girl opening up to to her babysitter, who also happens to be a terrifying yakuza. Um, now we watched like eight ish episodes of it. And most of the episodes were, were pretty similar, right? It's just like be being a surrogate father, essentially. Um, the thing that we couldn't get over, which I think is really funny, is that every time I looked at, at the main character of this show, I was just like, this looks like my original character. This looks like my original character. This looks like my, my original OC. My OC. <laughs> my OC. Like you, know what? it really does look like your OC as a yakuza. <laughs> there is, it's, it's just, it's just very funny. Um, when you, uh, I, I like, I, I don't know how common this is. I, I assume this is fairly common. I've, I, I definitely know a couple other people who have this. Where like you watch a show and you're just like, oh, I'm projecting my OC under that character for sure. <laughs> um, and this was a, this was a situation where I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was like, this is. This is like a show that was like made for me? Question mark. I don't understand how. How did you get this market research? How did you know that I'm how the market? Did, how did you tap directly into my brain and formulate my OC on the screen? I just I I don't I don't understand. It it was it was like like a sniper shot directly for my brain. <sighs> anyway, um. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Uh it is yeah, it's, it's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. There's no like real twists. Yes. It's like it's yeah. literally Yakuza becomes softer because uh child and child becomes more outgoing because of father figure. Um Yeah. And you know, honestly, sometimes I just you do you do just want something that makes you feel good. And um this definitely will do that for you. Especially if you like watching like a cute babysitting show and then like and then you get to watch him bust some heads um it's actually pretty satisfying <laughs> they're like oh he's he's a wimp now that he's taking care of a child and he's like yeah 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 i heard you talking shit <laughs> what'd you say <laughs> i can hear you <laughs> um, okay let's talk about isekai oji-san sort of because we uh we're going to watch more of it, but there's only seven episodes out, according to Netflix, which is interesting. That's a choice. Thanks. Thanks. Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> like, I assume there's more of this show. It, it didn't feel like we had an ending episode. Not that this no. is particularly a series that has, like, really strong ending points. But, like, still. No. Um, isekai Oji-san is about a guy that gets isekai'd it, in like the 80s or like the like the the 90s at most and then comes back 17 years later um Mm -hmm. or no maybe i think he was just born in the 80s actually i think i think he was like 17 when he got isekai and that was in like because i think it's the manga takes place in 2018 so he would he would have been isekai in like 2000 okay these these specifics don't matter but anyway well they kind of do um so it's about a guy that gets isekai'd. He spends 17 years in the isekai world, um, but in real life uh, or in uh, in modern day Japan, his body is just like hooked up to like you know medical equipment to make sure he stays alive. And then he comes back and he's able to do magic. 
Um, and uh, his nephew was like, what the fuck? Let's make some money off of this. <laughs> um, and that's and basically the central gag of Isekai Oji-san is that Oji-san had just an awful time in the Isekai world. Everybody tried to kill him because they thought he was an orc because he was really ugly. And everybody in the Isekai world is beautiful. Except for a couple of people who... Um, warmed up to him but he was a socially awkward person so he um just didn't engage with it and he didn't know what a sundere was because he wasn't around for the advent of the sundere sort of um he uh these people may or may not have been definitely in love with him and it frustrates his nephew to no end to learn that he could have had he basically had a harem, harem and he didn't <laughs> he didn't know <laughs> <laughs> um this is this is a very specific type of like sort of cringe humor i'm gonna say it's like more on that end of the spectrum um where the humor is like it's almost like anti-humor it come it comes from the fact that stuff this stuff is just so like comically terrible it's like <laughs> oh my god how how did uh, it's like uh yeah i almost got assassinated like f- 40 times like wait what and he's like oh uh let's see not this one not this one not this one not this one and you're like oh, what you saw <laughs> um and essentially it's like it, it is a mix of that um it's a mix of jokes about uh the very specific era that he got isekai from which was uh, the the Sega era when Sega was still making yes. consoles. He comes out of his isekai coma and he learns that Sega lost the console war. And oh man, would not want to be it the one to break him. Would not want to be the yeah. one to break the news to him about that. Jesus. Yeah. Um, it was his. It was basically his reason for being able to persevere through the isekai <laughs> yeah, world. Yeah, he comes back and Sega just yeah. like only makes yeah. third party games now. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> um, yeah and, and that's basically it right it's like oji-san had a terrible time in um in the isekai world he could have had a better time if he was more socially adept but he wasn't so he didn't and then he saved the world and he came back and now he has to live in modern day japan and uh he's like oh shit i need a job so he becomes a youtuber with his new isekai magic. Um, <laughs> and I think I think it's funny. I, I, I actually do... I find this show quite endearing uh, as much torment as it puts Oji-san through. Um, because <laughs> there's like... It's kind of... Like the humor comes from the fact that he's just like an older guy that missed all the technological developments. So he doesn't understand things like the internet or smartphones. And... Yeah. There's a kind of like, it's kind of like, um, I don't want to say it's necessarily laughing at his expense because it kind of is, but at the same time, it's also kind of like, it kind of turns a mirror back on the rate of our like technological progression and how much things have changed in like 17 years, which is really not that long of a time. Um, and how uh. completely incomprehensible that is to somebody who like, you know, was in a coma, um, or, and this is funny because it reminds me a lot of uh, of Yakuza, where um, in the beginning of Yakuza One, Kiryu goes to prison for like ten years, and he comes out, and he's like, "What the fuck is a cell phone?" <laughs> I I think Kiryu went to prison pretty similarly 
um in time to like when an Oji-san got um yeah 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 <laughs> maybe a little bit maybe a little bit before like I think he got jailed in the 90s or something but anyway um yeah so it's like that kind of humor but also there's like this kind of like it's funny because you you kind of you can tell that the nephew like does care about his uncle and it's like very sweet yeah, at times. It's so cute. And like yeah. it's not like it's not like um the joke is like, oh look at look how dumb Oji san is. It's like I mean, he couldn't have known, you know? You you're just, you were like cringing <laughs> along with the nephew because you're like, Oh, your life could have been better. <laughs> we could have fixed this you could have had such a great time oh and it's like it's, it's clear he cares about his uncle <laughs> anyway it's pretty it's pretty funny i I did laugh out loud quite a couple times watching this show which is no it's pretty funny yeah. for sure <laughs> um i i enjoy it i enjoy it um i'm glad that it, it has some amount of success um okay let's bubble the chorus recall um, which um, is a name that makes sense in Japan because it's Rikorisu Rikoiru. So it's like, it's kind of like a play on words. But in English, when you look at it, you're like, what is, what is this? Um, what is this? <laughs> and I don't know if it's pronounced like licorice, licorice uh, in English or Latin or whatever we pilfered this name or if it's like licorice. Um, but essentially they're um they turn uh school students into assassins and they use them to to kill terrorists and then they essentially it's basically this like big like cover-up operation where like society uh, japanese society is being protected by these special secret agents and um and nobody is the wiser there's like tons of terrorist shit happening Mm -hmm. But it's all being covered up for the sake of a peaceful society, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about the, the like, licorice, licorice, whatever, um, is it is, um, it's the spider lily plant, which in Japan is heavily associated with, um, with death. Um, it's, like, a funeral plant, I think. Um, or, like, I think mm -hmm. they, like, Maybe it's because I don't I exactly remember the um the reason why, but it's like they either grow well where people have died or they're used as funeral plants. I don't remember which one. It's also like they're red, so like you know. Um, mm. but uh, man, how do you how do you explain the rest of the plot? Like, there's a, there's a lycoris. <laughs> agent that um goes maverick and disobeys orders and so she gets demoted um she does it to save yes. a, a colleague um but she uh gets like demoted and gets sent to basically like the shitty licorice uh, uh licorice I, i'm looking up how to pronounce this right now i, I can't i can't handle this <laughs> she, she's the straight-laced assassin type right um so she takes her job very seriously all she wants is to be reinstated back in the main squad the main group or whatever but she gets relegated to this cafe that is being run by the organization um and while there she meets um definitely just her bff not the love of her life friend <laughs> <laughs> okay uh google tells me that it's licorice licorice all right 
or I Google. <laughs> In Japanese, it's it's hikanbana. Oh, okay, that makes sense actually. Um, yeah, so she meets. Uh, I think her name is. Was it Chisato? Um, yeah, Chisato. Yeah, Chisato. Who is this like very bubbly, uh, um, li- licorice? Um, who kind of like very slowly but surely gets this very serious-minded uh, girl named uh, Takina to open up um, while they go on uh, missions together and they run the cafe together. So most of the anime is about their friendship. Their friendship. <laughs> friends! They're such good friends! It's... Wow! Oh my god! Did that girl just say yeah. that I... that? you're mm-hmm. the one for my heart oh man they're yeah. on an aquarium date oh, yeah. oh my god mm-hmm. she, she, they're mm-hmm. they're talking about underwear mm-hmm. oh she's taking her underwear off oh my god they're mm-hmm. such good friends mm-hmm. um so this... that's a lot of the show <laughs> without spoiling much about the show that's that's a lot of the show <laughs> yeah um you if you want to get into so if you want to show that's showing a lot of like these high school girls shooting guns and being assassins and then also having their slice of life friendship friendship that's a lot of the show but then the second half of the show is more focused around the plot stuff so this is the spoiler stuff um where you learn that chisato this happy girl that Takina is definitely just friends with has uh, a circumstance about her heart, which is that um, she has an artificial heart in her body that is keeping her alive, and therefore she has a limited lifespan due to the limitations of the heart. Um, And uh, at some point, due to mysterious interventions, she is uh basically kidnapped her and and her heart is sabotaged to the point that she only has a very short amount of time to live like a couple months i think um and so that makes takina go crazy <laughs> yep <laughs> uh they both well takina especially just wants to find out how she can save chisato and then chisato's like it's fine i was never meant to live this long anyway and so on um uh yeah so uh, i think the show overall was fine it didn't like grab me like i don't think it'll be something that i remember very well in a couple years from now but it was a fine show it like overall made sense and it's packaged together nicely you know what i mean like it's it's a fine show um, but I don't think it was like a super exceptional show that I'll be like raving about or recommending to people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That, <laughs> I, I feel sort of, um, I feel sort of similarly, um, mm-hmm. because I, I think that the animation was really good, obviously. Yes, like, yes. um, mm-hmm. people have compared it kind of to John Wick, um, in terms of like, the the action sequences and they are very they're very good they're very well put together um they're very interesting to watch um they're animated very well i will say that i think the um the plot of it had some some bumps and also some interesting things that uh that i 
like kind of rolled over in my in my brain um that I was like kind of thinking about um so I was thinking about um the fact that the kind of central conflict here is that the the there's like a lot of elements going on um there's like a lot of like world building that happens that introduce you to different elements in the world of licorice recoil where there is a society um called the allen institute that is essentially like um people are born to do like uh, it's like people are born and naturally have this like innate talent for something and um the institute essentially recognizes people and what their innate talents are and gives them the mission of of doing that talent right of of doing it for the mm-hmm. betterment of mankind or whatever right and chisato uh her mission is to become the best hitman that's why they gave her the heart is to become the world's best hitman and um she really goes against it um because uh, she is essentially because she was given another chance at life. She's like, well, everybody should be given another chance at life, and so she, um, you know, takes all of her, uh, her training and applies it non-lethally, right? So she has a special modified gun that fires special modified bullets that don't kill people, right? Yep. And so there is there's this kind of like dual antagonizing force of the Allen Institute. And the representative of the Allen Institute that really wants to make sure she kills people and gets good at killing people. And then also there is the um there's the terrorists that just want to do terrorist stuff. Except one of the terrorists is uh, is also a uh, a person who is, you know, gifted by the Allen Institute to I think do crime. I think that was like his life's mission. <laughs> Which is really interesting, I guess. Like, uh, sure, why not? <laughs> make make the crime boy do crimes. Um, but he wants to essentially lift the veil um, uh, of of uh, of the ways in which the of Japanese society is um, controlling the narrative around what what's going on, right? Um, so like, yeah, he wants to expose the the liquorus. Li- right, he wants people existence. to know that terrorism is yeah. real and it can hurt you. <laughs> Which is interesting, actually. Like, there is something like there's something very real about the idea of a a forced peaceful narrative over an otherwise violent society. And I think that, you know, yeah, yeah, like for for Japan um, Mm -hmm. specifically, right? Japan is widely regarded as one of the safest places to live on planet Earth. Um, Never mind that a prime minister just got assassinated. May he rest in piss. Um, (laughs) But like. There is something to be said about a, um, like, really something to be said about a society that tries to pretend it doesn't have problems, but it very clearly does. Even if those problems aren't terrorism. Uh Uh-huh. Right? So, like, even if the problem is is not that um, there are secret terrorists that are being covered up by a secret organization, like, in the real world, right, there are lots of things that happen in Japan that they don't talk about 
for whatever reason, right, to give the uh, the Im- to project the image of a unified society, um, when in reality, you know, people are people are suffering, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, like, for instance, in Japan, very specifically, there is obviously just the treatment of anybody that isn't Japanese. Um, Mm-hmm. There is the tr- uh, treatment of anybody. It's a lot of racism problems in Japan. I don't know if you could tell this. Um, it's a, <laughs> uh, anybody who's not Japanese, but anybody who is Brazilian specifically, Korean specifically, Chinese specifically, um, or um, half Japanese and half something else, right? They have a, a term for people who are um, of mixed race that they literally call half, hafu, right? Um, yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah. I have no idea how people feel about it over there. Um, the last time I checked, it was in sort of a weird place where it's like, yeah, this is technically correct, but also like it has quite a lo- a loaded connotation um, from from the past, you know, um, in the way that it was, um, in the way that meaning was uh, ascribed to it, um, and all of those things are true, right? Like this is very, this is something that we deal with over here in America. You know, it's what we call a negative peace, right? Where like things are peaceful, TMCR, but also like, you know, ignore all the violence that we, that we do and don't talk about. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there is a nugget of something interesting there. Um, yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, right? Like the series wraps up, and like the 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 licorice are the licorice are allowed to just keep doing covert assassinations, which is like like yeah. fine for yeah. an, for a piece of fiction about like hitmen, um, but really weird when you're talking about keeping like um a essentially a secret organization of orphan assassins to mm-hmm. keep the public peace. Right. Like, you know, the idea of having uh, like state monopoly on violence, like that really is what it looks like. And it's like presented as this like really inspiring thing. They're like, oh, we're just protecting society. And like, yes, like you're shooting terrorists, I guess. (laughs) But also (laughs) like should should a government have a secret hit squad like formed only of like fucking orphans that are trained from birth to be assassins? No. Like I I think unequivocally no. <laughs> no, it's not actually that happy of an ending that that uh, Lacoris and Lilybell get to continue existing. I think that's actually a problem. <laughs> right? Lily Bell, by the way, are are the male equivalent right. of like of the Lycoris. The Lycoris are all high school girls, and the Lily Bell are high school boys. Like this is absolutely one of those one of those things that I that I think even the narrative is kind of like understands this on some level of like of just like yeah, the terrorists were actually right about this one, <laughs> kind of you know, like they kind of had can't a point. Say that. Like the bad guy had a point there. They had to just leave that alone and then go back to the happy little best friend narrative. <laughs> yeah, and then they just like retire and vacation in Hawaii. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, like there, there. Uh, the show has a lot of stuff going for it. You know, um, it is. Uh, it's very rare that we get like, uh, you know, um, a non-Japanese person in an anime that is depicted um, respectfully and you know oh, yeah. sensitively i did like him and mm-hmm. like even more 
even rarer that they just like don't make a point of bringing it up right um like the fact that that mika is like ostensibly this like you know this black guy um and nobody like talks about it. it's just a normal part of existing in the world yeah he's a black guy and he's also like lgbt <laughs> yeah he's also gay as hell and he's also like yeah. pretending to have a disability which was not great um that that yeah, part we didn't like that part that part could could have been better um but it, it was it felt very much like they gave him this like samurai master role which was cool i i really enjoyed that right the fact that he's just like you know a warrior doesn't um doesn't reveal all his tricks you're like Cool. That was like a very like it was a shot like a weirdly Japanese thing that you've you've ascribed to this character. Um yeah. which is like a sign that you've kind of accepted that and you've like Yeah, I think that's so cool. You've like mm-hmm. integrated him as part of, of the world because like yeah. you know, black people do live in Japan and yes. they have one hell of a time living in Japan, I would imagine. They sure do. Given yeah. <laughs> all the things I just talked about about Japan being really fucking racist. Yeah. Um but I think it's it's cool like um when we talk about, you know, diversity, there's like a lot of stuff that we talk about in in regards to diversity and like um we've in at least here in our media we've moved past a need to have everything be super diverse and moved into more talking about like very material um reparations or like very material benefits which is like putting um marginalized people in charge of things right giving them the actual power to be able to do things um but in a place like japan where the culture is so um like uh there's like such a such a hegemony right it's very much still in a place where that kind of representation is is actually important to normalize that that stuff mm-hmm um, so that that was like really cool, and like especially like, and I think I feel like part of it was like there is an implicit implication that like that he's like an American expat, right? Because like the person he talks to is is very clearly like a guy from like America. <laughs> he's like a white dude from America, and it's like <laughs> okay, what does America have, right? In the eye in the eyes of a Japanese person, like what what does America do? And it's like black gay people, and it's like what. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> like, I guess. Diversity. Diversity. <laughs> yeah, we got him. <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, like, fair, I guess. Um, and, But it, at the end of the day, it is still cool. Now, obviously, like, there's a bunch of stuff also um, floating around about, like, why don't they just let Takina and Chisato kiss? I don't get it. They've already devoted their lives to each other. Mm. Yeah. It's just gotta be that way. They just have a very close female to female friendship. <laughs> yes. Like it it is very much in the realm where it is clearly they weren't really intending on writing it like romantically. So I'm begrudgingly fine giving it a pass. It's like I can tell that it wasn't their intent and they did it vaguely. It was just weird because they have like a character that is really heavily implied to be gay. And then like these two characters like kind of devote their lives to each other and they're just partners. 
Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah. It's just a bit strange that. Yeah. Um. But they, you know, they drew the line there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was definitely entertaining. Um, if you want to watch a bunch of schoolgirls like do cool shit with guns, um, it's some of the best like gun choreographed combat in a in a piece of media, really. Um, since, I mean, really, like John Wick, right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is I think what the it action is. scenes are done really well. Yeah, I just, uh, I think the story is like only okay for me. Like, just me personally. I, I think so. <laughs> I think so too. There's like, a, there's yeah. a lot going on, and like overall, it comes out to be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Did it change my world? Probably not. But I really did. No. I, I really enjoyed watching. Um, I really enjoyed watching uh, pew pews. So. <laughs> The pew pews. <laughs> okay. Um, and the last thing that we all watched together and finished um, is Cyberpunk Edge Runners, which is the hot topic of the season, really. Um, so this Cyberpunk Edge Runners is a anime adaptation of the Cyberpunk property. The Cyberpunk property being the tabletop role playing game created by Mike Pondsmith. Um, of of which. The game Cyberpunk 2077 is also an adaptation of. Um, mm-hmm. And it is, uh, it's done by Studio Trigger and directed by uh, uh, Hiroyuki Maishi. Uh, you know the fucking guy. <laughs> this show was really good. I feel like it, it, it was a show that we could have just done its own episode on. That's how much, like like brought to the table <laughs> i i 100 percent agree i could i could definitely yeah. sit here and talk for an hour and a half about cyberpunk edge yeah. runners <laughs> cyberpunk edge runners i will try to keep it condensed um <laughs> I, I will just i will just touch on the main points that i want to touch on mostly because i have a lot of thoughts about cyberpunk edge runners i have not played 2077 um but i do think um but okay this is an important branching point. I'm going to put a pin and then I'm going to talk about, I'm putting a mental pin here so that I can see it. Um, you can't see it, but I'm making a, I'm making a pin, like okay, pushing thing, all right. with my, a gesture with my hands, <laughs> right? So yeah. one, Cyberpunk 2077 is a game made by CD Projekt Red, which is a company that is notorious for being quite transphobic sort of um their social media was transphobic and they didn't really apologize for it so they condoned it right like it's just it's just the way of it and that kind of sucks for a genre like cyberpunk which is so intimately intertwined with stuff like like being transgender right (laughs) like 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 being the other crowd so to speak exactly (laughs) like uh, being marginalized um in in a very powerful um monoculture and exactly being um being able to transcend the limits of of your human flesh like where does the mind end and the the flesh begin right all of those are questions that cyberpunk entertains so it's very strange it would be very strange if you did not have any trans people in your cyberpunk because trans people are both punk and cyber and trans Right. <laughs> this this metaphor is getting a little bit away from me. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Number two about CD Projekt Red, actually. Number two about CD Projekt Red is um, that they, they crunch their workers. Basically just are not like... They really fell out of favor with the, with the gamers because they managed to crunch their workers and still have to delay the game multiple times and then still deliver a product that was like very buggy. Right, yeah. And like, I yeah. get it. Game development is, is hard. Don't crunch your workers. That sucks ass. Make them But wait. everyone does it, Shoopy. <laughs> anyway, back to back to Edge Runners. Um, Edge Runners is um, directed by Imaishi. Um, it is um, animated by Trigger, and oh my god, was it animated by Trigger? And oh my god, did did Imaishi work on this? You can really tell. Uh, I I will say you can so tell. I will say this also. <laughs> Um, which is like um, returning back to, to the, the thing about cyberpunk. I could talk about cyberpunk for quite a long time. I have a lot of thoughts about <laughs> cyberpunk. I could go on for cyber, cyberpunk forever. Yeah, the thing about um, cyberpunk is that a lot of it asks um, very narrow questions about like what, like what is humanity? Where does the, hum- the humanity lie in the body? Is it your soul? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Um, Mm-hmm. And so the um, and this is also like this is funny because it's like one of those things that is both a philosophical question that people ask and also a uh, a balancing mechanic. So the idea is that um, how much of your body can you replace before you essentially lose yourself? Right? It's this kind of like ship uh, ship of Theseus like um, question, right? Um, so you know, um, for for somebody in the cyberpunk universe um how how much of their body do they have to replace before they lose their sense of self right and that's what that is what like cyber psychosis is right mm-hmm. it's when you kind of like lose the ability to to differentiate yourself from um stuff right um and like yeah that's like all right um but i also think that like it is a it's it's a very narrow question in scope because um it's a question that has been asked and explored a lot already and largely by people who have not experienced marginalization anyway, I guess, um, or a different way of living, right? Like, if you ask somebody, mm. like, how many cybernetics can you put on your body before you're not the same person anymore, right? And it's like, you wouldn't ask that of somebody who, like, l- lost all of their limbs in a car crash. You'd be like, Wow, you have the ability to use all your limbs again. That's great, right? Like, and the thing is, like, the question is, like, you know, were were we ever really human to begin with, right? If you're like a person at the the whim, the mercy of a um of a system that doesn't treat you as human, are you human to begin with, right? Is is not the act of getting cybernetics in that way a rebellion against that system um especially aftermarket cybernetics right so that's why i think that um a lot of times cyberpunk can be quite narrow in the questions that it asks um and obviously like i know that's not what edge runners is really about even though i think that edge runners has some of the coolest ways of depicting the like cybernetic stuff that goes on but we'll we'll get into it if you had to ask me, is Cyberpunk Edge Runners good cyberpunk in the sense of is it it does it work well within the genre? Yeah, I think it's fine, right? It fills all of the kind of it checks all the boxes really, right? Of just like 
there's there's people out there doing crazy shit to their bodies and they're doing it to do crimes which yeah sure and like you know obviously they're doing crimes because they can't make money otherwise right because you're either poor or you work at one of the big corporations and that's that's really all you got going for you or you do right, crime yeah I, yeah and i think that's one of the things like i've heard criticisms about the plot uh, or i guess like the 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 story content of Edge Runners being that it's a pretty simple story, but I feel like, for me, it's a really effective story in telling that specific part of the narrative in terms of uh, uh, you feel like when you're in this kind of setting, you're like, what would I do in this situation, right? Um, and when I think about these characters in this setting and like what they might have been able to do differently to have different things happen, I think about how a lot of it felt rather unavoidable given their personalities and the circumstances that they're in. Yeah. And a lot of that trickles. It, it all connects back to the fact that they're all being oppressed by this, <laughs> you know, right. corporation driven society that they're forced into this situation where, yeah, you know, David's mom has to do this, you know, this, this, this stuff, right. This, this shady stuff that she doesn't involve her son in at all in order to fund his education at this like very like distinct, like super ultra rich school so that he can maybe get a shot at, you know, at a bureaucratic job or whatever that'll uh, guarantee a better life for him, like a better social like elevation type of deal, right? Um, but he was never, ever going to fit in there, right? It's a completely different world, and so it just felt like a lost cause from the beginning, just because structurally that's how the entire society in the city is, is set up, right? right? It's all set it up. Is- Against them. It, it is, yeah, yeah it, it's 100% set up so that those who have will continue to have and those who yes. don't will continue to not, right? Right. And the reason, the reason that cyberpunk exists is because it is a reaction to capitalism. Like, just, yes. it's just, it's just mm-hmm. what it is, right? Like, yeah. there is the content of cyberpunk, which is largely about people who have found alternative ways of living that are are destructive because they have to be um because all other modes of living have been sucked dry by the corporations right right so you can either work at the one corporation that exists or you can work at the slightly different corporation that's slightly smaller because they make military tech instead of everything right and it's like mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean that that pretty much accurately describes like you know living in living in america right um, and it's funny because cyberpunk and the way that cyberpunk looks is largely a, um, aesthetically speaking, cyberpunk than the way it looks is largely speaking a reaction to the Japanese economic boom of the eighties, right? Which is mm. very interesting, right? Um, because you have, um, you have games like Yakuza that, that take a look at that, 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 uh, era of excess, right? And this kind of like era of Japanese global domination um, where, you know, Japanese electronics were everywhere. They were, like, really hot on on the economy. Um, And it led to some anxieties of America being unseated as uh, as the forefront of technology and and a a worldwide superpower, right? Because until Mm. until that point, um, Japan was that shitty backwards country that we bombed out of existence, right? That was, mm. generally speaking, the American attitude towards Japan. And, you know, 
really towards anywhere that isn't America, let's be honest. And so that is why cyberpunk looks the way that it is, right? Um, Japan was seen as this sort of looming future, and the culture of Japan, right, the cultural output of Japan would subsume and consume the, the culture of America. Obviously, it has, that has come true to a certain extent, but in a large part, um, uh, mostly generally speaking, like I would say that it's more, it's, mo- it's more likely that the Orientalist view of cyberpunk has come more into fashion, right? So, like, we have movies like Blade Runner, where, or like um, Blade Runner or Firefly, where like it's very clear that the dominant cultural presence is Asian, but mm. there are no Asians on the screen because mm. it's not about them, right? Mm. And like on 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 that kind of like um, in that kind of like sphere, I think it's interesting that um, a lot of the characters in um, in Edge Runners uh, are are Hispanic, right? Um, mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. this is just a general thing about cyberpunk by Mike Pondsmith, right? Um, is that it, it is obviously a sort of thing that has been integrated into the United States. And that is, that is true, right? Like, um, Spanish is like the, the most spoken second language in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff, like you can kind of look at it and be like, yeah, I, I, I see where, where you were, where you are pulling this from, um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's just interesting that we've kind of come to a place where it's like sort of wrapped around. And like the thing is that it has always been influenced by Japanese aesthetics, right? Like stuff like Akira and uh, Ghost in the Shell, right? Those are like kind of like seminal works, even if they're not technically, even if Akira isn't technically cyberpunk, right? Right, yeah. But the aesthetics of it are very much in line with like, you know, um, with that. and. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's just interesting that it that it has come back to Japan, and I will also say this, which is that I think that this is a property that works exceptionally well for Studio Trigger. Um. Oh yeah, this is right up there, Alley, down to like the themes of the work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was gonna say like, um, Trigger actually does a lot of work that that kind of deals with like marginalization and oppression. Yes. On a systemic a level, percent, yes. right? It's not, yes. it's not like an individual thing. And like the thing about Edge Runners is that it is, um, you know, like you said, it is a very simple story. But I do, I do also agree that I think it's really effective. I think it's really mm-hmm. effectively told. I think it is, yeah. it is appropriately, it's appropriately digestible, right? Like if you yes. boil down Edge Runners, it's like a guy flunks out of school and his mom dies. And so he has to find a way to, to pay the bills. And so he starts doing crime, right? And he meets somebody doing crime that has this, like, really simple, almost naive kind of, like, wish. And he wants to help her do it. So they have to do more crime to do it, right? And, like, yeah. Like, it's not that complicated. And, like, the actual content of it is not, is not overly complicated either. Um, but it is told very effectively, and I think that's because Trigger mm-hmm. is has really just sort of mastered this like really rapid fire storytelling. They know exactly the perfect amount of time you need to spend on something to then effectively move over to the next thing and just start doing that thing because it's it's more interesting, right? It's they're they're really well known for like lightning pace, um, really known for uh, really entertaining aesthetics. And animation, the animation is always top notch, um, and they really went fucking buck wild with it. 
because it's a Netflix show and not for for uh, airing on television, right? So like people fucking have sex and explode into blood, which is like yeah. <laughs> it kind of it, feels it, like it, what like, Studio Trigger has always wanted, but has never been allowed to do. Yeah, like definitely that, and also it definitely gave me the uh, we collaborated with the West on this project kind of vibe to it because a lot of the there's definitely parts of it that's like a hundred percent this is trigger right like whenever um lucy was was diving in and like uh oh just weird shapes were going on right oh 100 studio trigger that's all trigger right and then there's the sequences where there's like uh like um well i guess like we'll go ahead and spoil some of the stuff that happens but like um main's fight in episode six was very like it reminded me specifically of western animation because there's a lot of western animation that looks like that where it's like a lot of gore a lot of bullets lots of like it's like very flashy and dark and gritty in that way right Oh, yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. It was very comic book. Yes, yes. very Yes, exactly. Very comic book. And so that's what I found so fascinating about the animation, specifically in Edge Runners, is that, yes, it's being produced by Studio Trigger, but the style of it feels, like, very collaborative. And, of course, the story and the writing um, was, like, I mean, it was, like, you know... Uh, also collaborative i so. honestly think a lot of that just has yeah. to do with studio trigger studio trigger has mm. like traditionally been the most western of the animation studios just because like you know when they were uh, when all the trigger guys were at gynax they made panty and stocking right and that was like very right. they're taking very clear cues from american animation um and right also like um like studio trigger is just up on the times right like they they were one of the first studios to crowdfund an animation they um they have like a a twitch channel where they do like yeah. they show they live stream yeah. like processes and q a's and stuff like yeah i love popping in every now and then <laughs> they're up on the times right um and definitely i think um one of the strengths of studio trigger is is going to be the fact that it has more of a global perspective than a lot of traditional japanese studios um they yeah, they look sure. a lot outward for um for like inspiration and for talent like you know the oh, the, yeah. the, the the art director for brand new animal was was just somebody from yes. like from Canada yes right yes so I I think I think that's really cool it works really well and I really I actually I thought that of all of the shows that Trigger has done I think. This is obviously um, slightly more experimental just because it's, you know, it's like a Netflix original. They don't have to worry about, like, you know, rating or television sponsors or any of that kind of stuff, right? right? Mm-hmm. So they they kind of went wild with it, and they were allowed to. And that's, you know, partly because that's kind of what's expected from a, a Western animation, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and I guess more like it's what's allowed in a Western animation. Um, yeah, and they just they I mean, obviously, like it's very clear that they had fun with it, um, but I think oh for sure, but I think it's also funny because the um the way that they animated the cybernetics, like the um the zone that like David enters when he uses the the Sandavistan and mm-hmm. the depiction of cyber psychosis was really interesting, 
where it's like you get all of these like these like really intense short bursts of like of mains like memories bleeding into reality Mm -hmm. and like it becomes Mm -hmm. hard for him to differentiate and like yeah yeah that's uh, like it was super super interesting to watch it had some of the most like interesting narrative to to visual pipelines that I've seen in a lot in like any anime really um in the last couple of years. Um a major accomplishment there. Um the the story of it was obviously like, you know, straightforward, but also I think it was it was pretty effective in what it wanted to do, right? Yes, I think it did exactly what it wanted to do. I I liked that it was basically like, you know, Lucy wants to go to the moon, which is obviously this mm-hmm. like very naive almost childlike desire and and david just wants to to help her get there because because she helped him and you know they they have a relationship and it like yeah like honestly at at the end of the day right like cyberpunk is about you know about the glitz and the glam it's about the the mega cities and the mega corporations it's about cyberpunk you know running through the streets and doing crimes in your chromed out vehicle um, but you know, at the end of the day, it is, um, it, it is a very like humanistic genre because it's about the ways in which corporations and the systems of profit dehumanize people. Right. Mm-hmm. And it takes those, you know, outcasts of society and it, it just gives you everything that you realistically want. Right. It, sh- it shows you a found family, um, it gives you this very like childlike goal that one of the characters wants and then and then she manages to to achieve it right at the you know the cost of david's life right but like at the end of the day that's that's how it is for for people who live uh on on that side of of the coin you know um they don't do it because they want to they do it because they have to right it's it's one of the only ways to make a living and live by being a person right it's being a cyberpunk is actually one of the only ways in which in a cyberpunk um sort of like society that you can be a person and express your personhood right like under all the chrome and the body augmentation and the crazy hair and like all that kind of stuff you know your, your third dick or whatever all of that stuff you do because it is a way of expressing your humanity right and also like they don't they don't sugarcoat that at all right like david just dies he doesn't he doesn't win nobody actually wins in cyberpunk because it's it's this like really cyberpunk is like this like end state right it's like a a, a state in which capitalism has won over humanity and everybody else is just trying to survive for as long as it takes for the planet to die yeah it's it's this like genre that is like steeped in you know obviously punk which is like, you know, counterculture and, you know, uh, breaking down systems of oppression, bashing Nazi heads, right? But it's also a, a world in which, like, no matter what you do, like, you can't, as, a, as one person or even as a gang of people, you can't realistically dismantle it. The system is, is already in place and it's so overbearing. All you can do is survive under it, right? And that feels very important and relevant for, for people that are alive today. It feels quite, mm. quite like something that may, maybe feels familiar to some people, right? And that's why it resonates <laughs> with a lot of people. And that's why I think 
cyberpunk edge runners resonates with a lot of people. It's like when you see, you know, when you see David just like die at the end, he's dead and he, that's the end, right? Like you go, yeah, that, that's the way it is. But like, even then it's not like David dies and that's the end of the show necessarily, right? You still get this scene where, you know, Lucy goes out and she gets to go to the moon. It feels like the world has kind of come down and like ended, but like life is still going on. Yeah. What I, what I, I I like about that part of the narrative too, is that it feels so much like, um, like the immigrant story, but also the impoverished kid story where, you know, as like, uh, as like an immigrant or someone who is born into poverty, you live in like in a, you know a rundown neighborhood. But through the sacrifice of like your parents or your friends or the the people you grow up with, you're able to get out, right? You're able to to, to get out of the neighborhood and and elevate yourself to some degree, maybe pursue your dreams or accomplish your dreams. And it feels like the sacrifices of all these people throughout the show ends up leading to Lucy being able to accomplish her dream, but she's the only one that was able to get out, right? Because of the sacrifices of everyone else. And that's the system that is being represented through the cyberpunk universe. It's like, and I think, I feel like that's why, one of the reasons why it's also relatable is because we see that story every day. We see that in our childhoods, right? Um, It's just that it's, exacerbated to like the nth degree in a cyberpunk dystopia because it's a dystopia (laughs) yeah and like also this is just a minor point but i really like that (laughs) this actually works um the genre works really well with trigger because trigger has this like habit of going really over the top and like um people just fucking die and explode they just explode and die Mm -hmm. right and like in another show, you might be like, oh, my God. But, I mean, it's Trigger, right? But in right. in Cyberpunk, you're like, yeah, that's how it'd be on this bitch of an Earth. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, it's it's like, you're completely right that the show is about succeeding at the cost of other people's lives. And that that is what Cyberpunk is about, right? That's that's what yeah. society is, is like. Where, you know, to succeed, other people must fail. That's how capitalism yeah, works, right? right? Exactly. Exactly, yes. Sometimes the only difference is whether that is given to you willingly or not. Right, yeah. So, like, you have you have this very, like, sweet, poignant, like, end point where um, David is able to give Lucy enough money to, to go to the moon, but he dies. And, mm-hmm. and then you have all this, like, bombast where people get, like, exploded and shot with guns and, like, like ran off the road and then the car explodes or they get like sliced up with a with a sword right and Mm -hmm. it it just works because you know that all of their lives were expendable to begin with right you know that they're they're valued so lowly as people by by society that like i mean that is just how it be on this bitch of an earth Yeah, I, I find cyberpunk to be an absolutely fascinating genre. Um, like obviously because it's about capitalism and all that kind of stuff, but there's just so much tied up in it, especially with the, the Asian aesthetics and the aestheticism and how easily it leans into Orientalism 
but doesn't realize it um because cyberpunk is a very like <laughs> it, it's funny because it's a very like american genre but it resonates with people across the world because they also live under capitalism but also like you know, like nowhere should this resonate more than than in Japan, right? Where like your life is ruled by corporations, and um, that's all you got to do to survive. And uh, otherwise, you know, you you have not very many options for living a good life, and like you do everything you can to escape it, right? And like it's it's kind of heartbreaking, but like how many how many content creators, right? How many streamers and and um, like YouTube video makers are like yeah, like, you know, before I, I was able to do this job, like, I I was miserable. I didn't have any money. You know, I, um, I, I, like, could barely get enough to, like, pay rent and, like, eat, like, maybe one meal a day, right? And it's awful, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and, like, people will, people will do anything to get out of, uh, of, like, the work that dehumanizes them. Because, like, it's not that people don't want to work. I think that's generally not true. I think, actually, People derive a lot of value from from doing work, but that work has to be meaningful and it has to not be, you know, 80% of their life, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, that's some thoughts about Cyberpunk Edgerunners. Um, shall we move on to the, all the stuff that you watch? My God, you watch a lot of stuff. Tell me about I it. I watch so many things, but mostly just kind of sampled. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um... Yeah, so uh, huge change of pace. Um, I watched Tokyo Mew Mew Mew. <laughs> nice. I remember you telling me about this, and um, yes. I was interested in watching it, and I completely forgot that it existed. Did you watch the original? I did watch the original when I was younger, oh, okay, and when okay. it was airing on American okay, okay. television, dubbed. Oh, I know. Right? Yeah, that's when I watched it too. Okay, so Tokyo Mew 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 is the remake, obviously, of Tokyo Mew Mew, um, and. I'll just go through my notes here because <laughs> I took many. Oh my god, I can't wait. So the voice cast, we'll start with that. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of the voice cast. Not that it was bad. It just felt a little strange. And that's probably because the, uh, at least in the first episode that I watched, the male characters sound like grown men. Huh? <laughs> Aren't they all like ten? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh? They should be in school, you know, and they sound like grown men. It would be like it's like if Sugita voiced them, honestly. Oh my god. <laughs> um Okay. So uh the episode proceeds with uh uh, Ichigo, she falls for this dude named Aoyama, right? Um, she she sees a bunch of girls fawning over him in his kendo club, and then she sees him herself, and then she gets a crush on him, and that's just how things ended up. And so her friends try to help her get more intel on him. Um, Mint, one of the future, you know, members of the magical girl group, is watching Ichigo from like a distance, and she gives. Ichigo uh, tickets to um, an endangered animal exhibit so that she can invite Aoyama to it and they can have a nice little date, right? She's basically trying to support them, essentially. So Ichigo takes the tickets. She is able to invite Aoyama out to the date. They go to the exhibit where... 
where Aoyama, this 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 young lad, <laughs> starts popping off about animal conservation oh my God. and how much it, how deeply it it concerns him, the, we the state stand of the world and animals, and my God, I I I cannot make this up. Ichigo asks him, what does being endangered mean? <laughs> oh, no! How old are these kids supposed to be? <laughs> I think they're... They had to be middle or high school. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly. Let me, let me look. Um... Wait, how old are they? Let's see. Um, uh, bu -bu 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 uh, eleven to twelve. Oh, it's so young. Twelve to thirteen. Yeah, so they're pretty young. So she she invited him out to this endangered animal exhibit, and then has to ask him what being endangered means. <laughs> um. Yeah, so Aoyama, the man of her dreams, has has the world on his shoulders being concerned about the animals of the world, and she's over here asking about what being endangered means. So, um, later on, uh, you, you kind of, you get to see some of the other magical, the future magical girls at the exhibit, which was kind of fun. They had little cameos in there. Um, then the Mew Mew project is activated. There's a monster attack. Uh, Ryo, the, the blonde guy, he goes to save Ichigo. He's part of the people who activated the Mew Mew project. She transforms. She beats up the monster. Um, Mint is apparently already aware that she's a magical girl or whatever. So she, Ryo, and the other dude, Keichiro, from the Mew Mew project introduce themselves. They all go to the cafe, and that's how the episode ends. Do you know what this... Um, do you do you know what this mm -hmm. is making me quite aware of? Mm -hmm. This is making me quite aware that I I definitely watched Tokyo Mew Mew out of order because um that's just how you watch things. That's just how you used to have to watch things on TV. Yes. I yeah yeah yeah. Do not remember a single character. <laughs> I I don't remember a single character's name. I remember yeah. I remember the the dubious consent devil boy. <laughs> I. Don't remember anything that happens in any of the episodes. That's fine. It was a very long time ago. <laughs> it was an exceedingly long time ago. You like I I was probably like actually ten years old. <laughs> you were the same age as characters. I you know what? Maybe You're probably right. <laughs> Did you know what being endangered meant at that age? <laughs> I probably <laughs> Not to toot my own horn or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, having watched that episode, I was like, I didn't really enjoy that very much. But maybe I got, like, nostalgia goggles on. And so, I was like, okay, I haven't watched Tokyo Mew Mew since it was airing on American television. I'll... I'll I'll just go back and revisit. I'll, I'll compare the two for the, the first episodes of both. Right? So, right off the bat, the voice cast is way more appropriate. <laughs> you know what? Fair enough. <laughs> um, 
Megumi Ogata voices Aoyama, what? the main character. <laughs> no way. <laughs> it's legendary. I was like, me too, Ichigo. I would fall for him too if he was no voiced by Megumi Ogata. No way. Oh my god. There's okay. There's like a very short list of like adult voice actors who are allowed to voice children, and Megumi Ogata is like is like there at the top. Yes, she's at the top um, for sure. There, there is an appro. Like I, I will say that Akira Ishida is like <laughs> just barely acceptable for being thirteen. Yeah, <laughs> like just barely, and I have to suspend my disbelief a little bit. Yeah, you got to suspend some disbelief. Do you know what's he funny? He has to play like a really I, mature fourteen-year-old. <laughs> this is absolutely a. This is absolutely a tangent. Um, in Final Fantasy fourteen, there is a character that is named. Um, not named, voiced by Akirishita. Um, and he he's a white-haired anime boy. And <laughs> they give him scenes on the moon specifically <laughs> because Kaoru had, had those moon scenes. They were like, we were really thinking about Kaoru when we wrote these. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's all I thought I'm you should know. I'm with the writers. I'm there. <laughs> um, yeah, so voice cast felt more appropriate. Um, they waste a lot less time in the old version of the show than the newer one. The really? newer one, it felt like there was like a more a more fluff. It felt like less information was covered. Right in the old one, they even include scenes where she's like at school and she's adjusting to her 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 cat like powers after the Mew Mew project is activated. You don't get any of that in the in the remake. Um. It it shows like a little more characterization, right? It shows how silly Ichigo is, and um, it doesn't make Aoyama out to be an endangered species messiah. <laughs> um, it shows a little more illusion as to why Ichigo would relate to like the cat versus like in the remake. She, oh, oh my god, she literally at the endangered species exhibit just locks eyes with a with a endangered cat, like exhibit, like a like a like a stuffed model of a cat essentially. Uh-huh. Um, and then that's the connection that they form versus like in the in the old version they kind of show like after the project is activated like the soul of a cat kind of like enters her body or like the spirit of a cat and that's why she starts connecting more and more with like cat like tendencies right there's like 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 it's really wacky logic but there's still more logic than her just locking eyes with an endangered species exhibit right um and uh yeah um and i felt like the transformation sequence felt better too in the old one like in the new one they did a lot of work to animate her like cat-like hand gestures which was nice but the rest of the transformation sequence was like a rainbow silhouette kind of like in sailor moon right but in the old version they have like a lot more allusions to like the dna and genetics which is a lot stronger of a theme in tokyo mumu like each girl has like an allusion to like the DNA of like a cat or a monkey or whatever, right? You know, it represents the different animals. Mm. Um, so, just in a lot of ways, I felt like the old one was a more enjoyable experience than the remake, and that's how I walked away from that experience. <laughs> I see. So, I guess if you're nostalgic for Tokyo Mew Mew, 
maybe just go watch the old one. If you're interested in seeing it with a new coat of paint, then sure, I guess watch the new one. But I think the old one is more charming. <laughs> and it has Megumi Ogata. <laughs> you know what? Fair. <laughs> that is a very compelling argument. <laughs> okay. So next thing that I watched was <laughs> I watched an isekai show. Oh my show. god! Can you Ready, it? watch an isekai. <laughs> Sound the alarms. I'm converting. Wee -woo, uh, wee -woo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I watched isekai Yakyoku, um, and it's basically uh, about a pharmacologist researcher a researcher out of pharmacology in re in pharmacology i should say who um he dies from overworking of course <laughs> and he reincarnates into the body of this young uh like noble kid who uh comes from a line of pharm pharmacians um, they they're like they work for like the royalty essentially, and they both make and distribute medications. Wait. right? So they are basically both pharmacologists and pharmacists. Hold on, hold on. I just mm -hmm. I just like this. I I'm sorry. I'm so sorry if this takes yes. some of your thunder away. And uh -huh. when when you're talking about it, I did uh -huh. I did just read that this was created in collaboration with the Japan Pharmaceutical Association as part of a. <laughs> that, you know what. It suddenly makes sense. <laughs> As part of a campaign to bring awareness to the professions and practices of the pharmaceutical field. Holy, holy shit. Everything makes sense now. <laughs> this is unreal. I can't believe that that Japan is living in a world where they've made isekai to convince people to become part of the pharmaceutical industry. This is incredible. I, I... Now please <laughs> go on. Tell that me. I'm about to talk about this show. Suddenly, I, I it, it all comes together. I was like, this is this is so oddly accurate. <laughs> so, oh my god, it's what it's, it's what sold me into like watching more of it because I was like, oh my god. Okay, so I'll go into it in a little more detail now that you know the basic premise. Okay. So in the beginning of the episode, during the first 15 seconds of this show, this man is literally. In Microsoft Word, Times New Roman typeface, typing out a report that is an actual, like, plausible <laughs> research paper. Like, I was, I paused the screen to read it because it only is on the screen for, like, like a couple seconds. Um, I paused it and I was reading through it. I was like, oh, my God. This sounds like an actual paper. Like, it includes everything that you would expect from a genetic research paper, right? And imagine stuff like Schneider's medium and heat inactivated, FCS, 96 well plates, fetal bovine syndrome, huh? the S2 cells obtained from the National Genomic Research Center. Like, I was like... <laughs> they absolutely was like, they absolutely took a real, like, like pharmacy person's, right, like, right, research right. paper. Yes. Yes, exactly. It sounded like they took an actual person's research paper and they put it in the anime. <laughs> and I was like, well, this isn't just filler text. This is an actual paper because it was in English. That's why I could read it. Oh, not only that, but it mentions a specific drug, which uh, they they made up the name for it. I guess to like avoid like you know legal troubles. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But they called it uh, they called it uh, Lipofectamax nine thousand, which 
uh, when I was like searching it up, I'm pretty sure that it's a reference to lipofectamine, which is um, I, it, it's a it's like a cationic lipid and it, it facilitates DNA and mRNA delivery into cells. Um, and it is used in the transfection of cell lines, which is what that paper was about. It's what it was talking about in its method in its uh, methods before he was going to go into talking about the results in the paper. Right. And so. Lipofectamine has been researched in association with vaccine development and cancer research. Oh, my God. Which you later on learn is actually related to his character because you learn later on that he lost his little sister to an irremovable brain tumor. So he is in his you know, day job, current day as an adult, still doing research related to cancer, specifically genetics research to help people like his sister. <laughs> and that's why he was writing that paper. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Wow. <laughs> this is so deep. And it's only like most people wouldn't even catch this, right? It's it's like unbelievable that they would include that level of detail for something that <laughs> they, most people would miss. They made right? an anime just for you. That's what I, yes. And so I was like, <laughs> and then, and then after, okay, I watched past the first 15 seconds after looking up the paper and, <laughs> and they show him working in his lab, right? That's where he was typing up the paper. Uh -huh. And, um, the lab he was working in, I kid you not, looks so similar to a lab that I used to work in that was about, <laughs> that was, that was about pancreatic research, pancreatic cancer research, excuse me. And so, he was like walking around the lab, you know, like, and he 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 walks out of the, uh, the the common like area where he's he was like typing up the report, um, to like uh an, another room off to off, like further down the hall, and he's like pipetting like samples into like these wells, and I was like, that's the job that I did. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> like the hood, the, wow. the the way that he was doing it, everything was like it lined up perfectly with what I used to do as a research assistant at a cancer facility. <laughs> I I like how I like how this season there were two anime that were like made for us specifically, one for you and one for me. That's amazing. <laughs> It was incredible. Like they animated the pipette action like so well too. And I was like, you can't, you can't do this to me. <laughs> you can't just make an anime from me. And yeah. So after that, he goes into like the little, uh, the rest area that they have in, in the lab. And then that's where he dies. <laughs> wow. He, goes, he lays down to take a nap and he sets an alarm to like wake up in a few minutes or whatever. And that's when he died from overworking. Um, and so they play like this, like very slow, somber piano music, obviously to represent the fact that his life slipped away. And then he, <laughs> when he wakes up in the isekai world, he wakes up to a pink haired anime maid. <laughs> And, and she's calling his name. <laughs> and his name is Pharma. No! <laughs> oh my god. 
It's him, John Pharmacology. <laughs> Fuck, that is Big unreal. Pharma. Oh my, that is unfucking real. Um. So when he wakes up in this isekai world and pink maid girl and everything, he just kind of like realizes immediately, oh, I must have died from overworking. <laughs> man, man calls him like he sees him. He's like, yeah, it's, this sure seems like I died. <laughs> right. Um, so he, he like realizes that he has these um, marks on his upper arms, right? He identifies them as Lichtenberg figures, which are burn scars that you get when lightning passes through your skin. And so he presumes he reincarnated into the body of a boy who got struck by lightning. Oh, my God. (laughs) However, the maid, whose name is uh, Lottie, she sees the marks and she's like, oh, my gosh, you were blessed by the god of medicine. That's his mark. And so you're kind of left in up in the air. Was was this boy struck by lightning or blessed by a god? Turns out both. Ah. <laughs> so uh, there is magic in this world, right? It's called divine arts, and only the nobility can use it. Um, so apparently, pharma, the actual pharma, before this man got incarnated into his body. Um, was good at the divine arts uh, of water, right? And so while he is trying to activate his divine arts and prove that he's like a noble and that he's actually pharma, um, uh, is thinking like, how do I summon water? And so he literally thinks about the chemical composition of water, (laughs) like the formula, the chemical formula of water. And then he thinks about the chemical composition and the bonds of it, right? And then it activates his divine art of water, and then he shoots like a fire hose worth of, of water oh my God. out of the window while trying to figure out how to stop the water. He then learns that he's got other powers too, that mayhaps he was indeed blessed by the the, the, the god of medicine in this world, because with his left hand, if he knows the chemical structure of a substance, he can just create it with his left hand by visualizing the chemical structure. And with his right hand, he can erase it from existence. <laughs> oh. And that is not a normal power for this world. And, and with his eyes, he can see um, whether someone has some kind of uh, illness, right? And so... And so he can kind of like he'll he'll like cover one of his eyes and and out of his eye he can like localize where the illness is and he can tell like what it is that they have like he can diagnose them right there and so uh his aim i guess to while like learning that he has these powers and things like that and getting adjusted in this world he's like i want to create a pharmacy where I can serve both the nobility and the common people equally and hopefully not get discovered that I have godlike powers that will definitely get me branded as a heretic and cast out of the country. (laughs) And he also, for some reason, doesn't have a shadow. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, he just randomly cannot cast a shadow on the ground. Um... So that's that's the show. I watched like four episodes of it. Um, it's like very like 
it's a low-key show, right? It's mainly focused... It's kind of like almost like a slice-of-life-paced show, but it is definitely moving in some kind of direction. Um, and uh, you get to see him make things. Like, he makes, like, a cream, like a medicinal cream for his servants, and you get to... He goes through all the steps to, to, to make it. So you get a little bit of the the science and you get a little bit of the isekai and that's the show <laughs> all right then um so the fact that you said it was in collaboration with an actual pharmaceutical initiative just makes all the sense now as to why it was so accurate <laughs> and then i um and then I, I sent the show to my uh, pharmacist friend. I told her she needed to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, then. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I finally watched an isekai without you prompting me to. <laughs> <laughs> and it was about yes. medicine. <laughs> yes. That's all I need. <laughs> You know what? Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, so that was a delightful surprise. Uh, after, let's see, what else do I have? I watched a couple of sportsy anime as usual. I finished out Ashi, which was, mm-hmm. uh, it continued to be good, so I liked that. Um, I also watched uh, Shoot Goal to the Future, which was such a roller coaster. Okay. Um, I. <laughs> okay. So imagine. Okay. The main character is like a gritty isekai protagonist, right? You imagine that kind of personality, right? Uh huh. He starts with him playing FPS game, and he's blaming all his teammates for them losing, for for their team losing, and not backing him up when he needs it, and. Uh, then he goes, he's at school, he looks over at the soccer team, and he's like, okay, I, I, like, I wrote this down like to quote him. They're just like me, losers, <laughs> just like me, worthless, with no hope left. And then he smiles cynically. Oh my god! <laughs> so this is our main character. What the fuck? <laughs> he's just, a, he's just a, an edgy teenager. Um... And then uh, the soccer, some of the soccer team members notice him looking at them like he, like they're garbage, right? And so later on, they they confront him at school, and they start challenging him to like a soccer, I don't know, match or challenge or whatever to be like, oh, you think you're so good, then then why don't you come out and then prove it? You know that kind of deal, right? And um. The our main character, our gritty, edgy main character, screams at this boy. He says, "Never drag me back into soccer again!" And then he almost faints. Oh my god! <laughs> and then, and then he goes to a nearby children's park while getting flashbacks of when he used to play soccer in the past. <laughs> um. So that you learned through his flashbacks that he used to play soccer with this, this like, uwu-looking kid, right? It was his friend. And his friend would get him assists, and then the main character, because of these assists, would be able to score goals. 
and the friend <laughs> the friend called the main character shoot huh? <laughs> so uh, after after shoot shoots the goal and scores the friend runs over jumps into his arms wraps his legs around the main character and the main character just holds on to him and then the friend with the with the blushy happy face is like shoot let's play soccer together forever and then we we cut back to the main character in the present day and he's remembering all of this while crying about it in his bed oh my god <laughs> so his mom his mom comes in and she's like to call him for dinner she's like huh? are you crying <laughs> Did you did you get dumped? <laughs> wow. <laughs> um and so he throws his pillow at her and then he <laughs> you think that it's a comical moment but then he stands up from the bed and with the most vengeful isekai protagonist glare with a black background it cuts away. <laughs> oh. And I'm like, oh my god, did he murder his mother? What happened? <laughs> and so after this, I was like, this guy's trauma is so big. Like, and I haven't seen any other allusions to this friend character. Like, did the friend character die? Is it is it that dark of a soccer show? And um, later on, there's like a segment in the show where they're like referencing um the history of the school and they show some photographs that were like oddly rendered in like a 90s anime style right like they had characters like that looked like oh uh, they stepped out of yu yu Hakusho kind of deal right and they were all, but they were wearing like athletic short shorts and they were so specific about naming each of the characters and then i got this feeling i was like wait is this actually like a sequel to something <laughs> And it is. Oh. It's a sequel to this show called Aoki Densetsu Shoot, where this team gets together to make a legendary soccer powerhouse team. But now in the sequel, the school's soccer performance has declined. So one of the former captains from from that show returns to the school as a coach to try and bring the school back to its former glory. And I don't, I don't care. Any, it, it doesn't matter. Anyway, at the end of the show, while the main character has been successfully challenged to play soccer he his friend shows up the one that i thought was dead because of all the trauma oh <laughs> the friend goes to a different school but he comes over because they're the soccer team at, at this school uh challenges the, his school to a practice match so the friend just shows up and he's like, oh my God, it's shoot. And he runs over again with a blushing face and, and hugs his friend. So what's the problem? Where did the trauma come uh, from? Huh? <laughs> and that's where the episode ended and I couldn't care enough to, to continue. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. <laughs> it was just such a, such a... A roller coaster. That's all I can say about it, really. It was the world's edgiest child has trauma about soccer. And uh, that, and it affected him so badly, even though his friend is alive and well and there to love him. 
<laughs> I see. Yeah, so that's that show. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um. Oh, I forgot about. I forgot to actually mention the show last time we were talking, but it, it got a continuation, which is called Love All Play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a uh, badminton anime. Um, it was so forgettable that that's why I forgot to mention it because I forgot that I watched it. Ah. Uh, it's very, very stereotypical. It has like the cast of the team. It has the two mischievous twins, right? Kind of like from Oran. Uh-huh. As Kageyama from Haikyuu, has a ganky red-haired boy, and then has a skilled, pretty hair, pretty boy that the protagonist is aspiring to be and 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 to be like, and whom everyone will ship with. But but the skilled pretty boy has some kind of chip on his shoulder. That's why they can't get along. <clears throat> that's the show. I would say if you were to watch a badminton show, just watch Remans Club. <laughs> yeah, watch the Salary Man. <laughs> yeah, watch the Salary Man. It's animated better. It's it's more compelling. The characters are more likable. Um, it's uh, it has a snappier pace. It's not boring and forgettable like Love All Play. So I don't. And, and, but I, and I don't know why. Maybe it's the power of Hanai Natsuki because he voices in the show as well. But it got twenty four episodes. <laughs> <laughs> why can't our soft tennis show get 24 episodes it got cut off <laughs> uh, yeah um yeah so uh i don't recommend the show either <laughs> watch Remans club you know what fair <laughs> And the last thing that I watched was uh, JoJo's Stowed Ocean Part 2. They continued it. Um, nice. It is uh, more of, like, it, it, it's more of Stone Ocean. So if you like the first part of Stone Ocean that they already released, you'll like this one. They continue with the story and the animation doesn't, doesn't let down or anything. It doesn't take, like, weird, I don't know, offshoot turn or whatever. Um, and uh, I think they're... In, uh, going well, they have to because they didn't finish the story, but they'll be doing a part three, so that'll be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, JoJo's is, is popular. I, in terms of the anime, am still, uh, I, I left off on the end of uh, part five, uh, because I caught okay. up to the, mm-hmm. I caught up to the anime that was airing at the time, and then I just went and uh. read the manga. And then I read the manga all the way through to the current part. So mm-hmm. I haven't actually watched any of the anime, but, you mm-hmm. know, um, I, I expect more of what JoJo's is. Um, I, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, like, I like Stone Ocean because it's very bingeable. And it's really appropriate that it kind of came out on Netflix so that you can just binge it all. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I like Stone Ocean. Um I I it's funny yeah. because I think that Stone Ocean is one of the it's one of the messiest parts of JoJo in terms of like it's really obvious that Araki has just no idea where the plot is going next week and he forgets about <laughs> stuff all the time and he just like drops plot threads all the time. Um and at the same time like it it is still a good time. So <laughs> Yeah, 
Yeah, that's the thing, right? Is that I'm still having a great time while watching it. <laughs> like when when I really take a step back and I dissect it, I'm just like, yeah, man, I don't. <laughs> there is a, there is certainly there is certainly a um. I feel I feel like this man was like I have no idea what I have left here, guys. But um. I assume that's why he just decided to reset the timeline uh, for the next part. <laughs> but it's um, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not, yeah. I mean, I I like Stone Ocean. Um, and I uh, I really like Jolene as uh, as the protagonist. Yeah, me too. I I quite enjoy it. It 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 definitely is like this part has a whole lot more fights. It feels like a lot more encounters in that way. But yeah, it does kind of meander quite a bit in terms of like how are we linking all the fights together and, and that kind of deal um, <laughs> the answer is, um... <laughs> yeah i mean it's interesting don't get me wrong i i'm enjoying my time with it immensely and i i thought it was a bold move to keep it all contained at least up until now now part three is when they're leaving the prison but parts one and two of part six uh in terms of the anime release are all contained within the prison Right, so I thought that was a pretty bold move on Araki's part to like keep that much of the story contained to the prison when JoJo's, I feel like in the past has at least meandered more. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it it is definitely it's a smaller space than even even just the town. Um, in right, part exactly four. from part four. So you're you're definitely right. Yeah. Um, it it is really interesting how how confined of a space it is. Um, there's yeah. a lot of stuff that is it's like. Part six feels very experimental in a very mm-hmm. specific way. Like, which, yeah. you know, obviously all of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is, just seems like just like one long <laughs> yeah. social experiment. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like more, more, so than, more so than any other part, it, it feels extremely experimental. Although um, mm-hmm. after part six is part seven, which, you know, uh, okay, part seven and eight, like don't really count. Because they're the they're later parts, but like, and JoJo's is always evolving. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's a good time. I might actually end up watching it, um, even if I don't end up watching the the end of part five because I kind of know what's going on there. Yeah, I don't think you'd be necessarily missing out because you know what's gonna happen. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been told that King Crimson makes at least a little bit more sense in the anime. Or maybe it doesn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't know. I haven't read the manga, unfortunately. It. So. it I mean, it <laughs> vaguely made sense when I read it in the manga, but I had trouble with it, and it probably is still confusing in the anime. And it's actually, it's even a meme that people don't really know how King Crimson works. Okay, I was wondering about that because I, I feel like when I watched the anime, I, it, it kind of made sense, but I was also like, I feel like I'm missing something, like. I'm I'm barely hanging on to what it what it does. Yeah, I, I don't think you're I don't think you're alone there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, that's it. All right, cool. It has been a long road to get here, but oh we did it. Um, we've talked about we all the stuff. Oh man, I I can definitely tell I'm not as like I'm not I'm not I'm I'm getting a little older. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Um, I, I am getting a little older, uh, and it's, it's pretty clear because, uh, I, I just, it used to be at the end of a, a three and a half hour recording that like my, 
voice would sound fine. Um, but man, <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling to hang on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, <sighs> so I guess we should, uh, I guess we should wrap up then, huh? Sure. All right. Um, it's been, it's been quite a bit. Um, who are you and where can we find you on the internet? Oh my goodness, I am Renu, also known as Swan. You can find me on Instagram at swan.drawn. You can find me anywhere else at swandrawn. I am <laughs> uh, on my stream. I think tomorrow, maybe, hopefully, will be the last time I stream Devil May Cry 5. I can't believe um, you're still on that. I mean, I know you took a break, but Jesus. Yes. I took a break and I came back and I finally reached the last floor. The last floor was floor 101 of this challenge that I'm doing. It's called Bloody Palace. And I finally reached it and I'm uh I I died to it twice after reaching it. So this past week I've just been practicing the boss for that floor and now I'm able to beat him consistently. So maybe perhaps tomorrow We'll finally beat it. <laughs> I I just I can't. I cannot I conceptualize. My uh my hand starts to hurt after a while, so that's I think that's the only problem. <laughs> but uh hopefully we can hang in there. <laughs> I see. Fair enough. Yeah. Yep. Uh what about you? You can find me all the places at Literal Soup. Um, I am not up to anything too exciting on the interwebs, um, other than you know making the podcast and doing um, my weekly streams. Um, I would really like to add another stream to the to the list of days that I stream. Because right now I'm streaming uh, twice a week, so Saturday and Sunday. Um, I have the um, the Ace Attorney stream, and I have the Tearless stream. Um, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do once we've ranked the last class. Um, we have actually finished ranking all the official classes. Um, so we're just going to do a bonus one where we finish, where we talk about um, Blood Hunter, which is like Matthew Mercer's like homebrew class that is on D&D Beyond. Oh. So technically, mm-hmm. I guess it's technically official content, weirdly. Um, I I don't think you could get into like an adventures league with it or anything, but um, it it's on D and D Beyond, which is now officially part of Wizards of the Coast. So, oh, um, yeah, we'll do that, cool. and then we'll figure out what we're gonna do. They released some new one D and D content, um, which is what they call their their like, um, you know, D and D in progress line of content, which is interesting um they're shaking up some rules and maybe rebalancing some classes and stuff it's it's like more like a 5.5 than it is like a sixth edition but um Mm. that's been interesting we've been looking through that um it's very clear that it's playtest content because some of it is like wildly just it just clearly hasn't gone through like the the editing passes Uh (laughs) um which is which is all I'll say about that. So we'll probably talk about that for a week, and then um, then we'll just try to figure out what to do with with that time slot because I think we do still want to stream in that time slot ideally, um, because it generally works for us, and, and we we like talking about D and D, so we'll probably do that. 
Um, I would ideally like to add another stream to my weekly streams, but uh, it's just, it, it just, just it, there's just no space. I just, every time I look at my schedule, I'm just like, where do I put it? Where would I put it? Unless I wanted to get up in the morning and then do a couple of hours of streaming and then go to work. And that just sounds kind of miserable, to be honest. <laughs> I feel like you're, you're, you're tapped out in terms of all the things that you uh, can fit in your schedule right now. You'd have to, you'd have to you know lose something <laughs> yeah i uh, that that is out. it's it's very true <laughs> i i just um i don't know i don't know where i would fit any activity like every time i think about doing something i'm just like oh i could start raiding in final fantasy 14 i'm just like but where would i put it <laughs> yep so yeah um that's that's what I'm up to. I have a couple of projects that I want to work on, but there's no real guarantee. Like like I said, I've been thinking about writing a lot, but I haven't been writing yeah. a lot because again, that just requires some time. But anyway, um, so yeah, thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for bearing with us through the the weird release schedule. Um, we basically took the summer off, um, and we're just trying to get back into the groove of things. Um, <laughs> I feel like I took a summer vacation and then like, I just, I, I, I like came back and I realized that like, I just like, I'm not sure where I was getting the time to make the podcast to begin with. <laughs> I was like, where did I even, <laughs> when did I even make this? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> My schedule is so weird. Um, it's funny. Like, it's like when you get free time, it just suddenly gets sucked up into the void. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, what, what is what is going on? <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for for sticking with us. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this 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 uh, once once in an age mega episode. Yeah, it's it's been a it's while. A special since, occasion. Say, I, I think even after I cut it down, we're probably still gonna break three hours. So, um, enjoy that. I guess I. Uh, you can cut as much as you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I can't cut anything about the content. We did a lot of talking about the content. <laughs> the the rambling is the appeal of the pot. Listen, most is it <laughs> people out there that make a professional, well produced podcast will just cut all the like tangent chatter out to have a focused episode. They'll get it nicely cut yeah. down. It'll be like about an hour yeah. every time. Um, no, do, we yeah. just we just don't do that here. The podcast is as long as it is. <laughs> Uh, tangents included. Um, you just get the whole. You, you get the whole shebang. Like unless there was okay, there was one time. I I will reveal this about the production of the podcast. There has only Ooh. really been one Ooh. time when I have actually edited out like content, and that has been the time. That has been once I just ranted for forty straight minutes about an unrelated topic, and I was like. I just, I just can't fit this in the episode, so I cut it out. <laughs> it's only happened once where I've cut out like a rant. Otherwise, it's like I, I just make sure that the podcast is it exists. I mean, if you think that the tangents are valuable, then you you keep it in. I'll leave it to your discretion. <laughs> the tangents are part of the podcast until people start complaining, and then I'll just start cutting them out. Okay, if you guys want to <laughs> complain, you you let us know. If you like them, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
Um, yeah, so our opening is by Scotchy Network, and our ending is by Takamakata, and the patrons we are thanking this episode are bada 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 ba Evan Williams, Magpie, Mirtest, Claire, Frostfall, Shandow, Cherubel, and Dylan Boltz. Thank you so much wow, for the you. support, <laughs> um, especially through our, our turbulent schedule and our breaks um, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know how it'd be. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know I wish I had more time to do things. Oh, man, you you know I <laughs> wish I had more time to do things. I think I, I was thinking about this, right? And, like, I think a time stop power would be really useful. But I think if I got it, I would actually just never get anything done again. Yeah, I feel like it would just perpetuate the same right? problem. <laughs> like, I would procrastinate forever. <laughs> I'd, like, freeze time, like, an hour before a deadline, and then I wouldn't actually work on the deadline. I would just, like, sit there, like, hmm. Right. (laughs) I'd like to read some manga now. Right. (laughs) Also, like, you're like, I felt like I was supposed to do something after 100 volumes. (laughs) I feel like a power like that would be less useful um, without caveats in this this day and age. Just because, like, Mm -hmm. It used to be that, you know, you could read a book and, like, if you interacted with something in the time... And, like, I, this is me overthinking how a time stop would work, right? Because I just fantasize <laughs> about having one so that I can, like, goof off and sleep. I would probably use it to sleep, mostly, honestly. I would get so much fucking sleep. It would be unreal. Um, but, like, a book you could just interact with. But, like, a phone is, like, connected to the internet. The internet probably wouldn't work if you stopped time. It'd be awful. <laughs> I probably would get shit done, actually. <laughs> anyway, enough thinking about that. Um, uh-huh. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for the support. Thank and you. we will see you next time. See you next time. またしたね。<音楽>